At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Gren Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Coco Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever yo pleasel, because we're about to rock your 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk episode 205. We don't have a theme. Who knows what's going to happen? Hello, everybody. Stevie is off on spring break today. That means so, he's drinking profusely, or what does that mean? No, nah, it means that the um, um, foxes are in charge of the hen house. Okay. Or better yet, the uh, patients are in charge of the asylum. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's bedlam, man. It's bedlam. Oh, I guess we can start with uh, panel introductions. Uh, let's see. Is everyone going to shift around on me? Upper left-hand corner, we have Mark Overhoser. Hello there. Glad to be here. All right, next over, uh, Patrick Euland. You're muted, Pat. Or Rick, as I tell you. Well, that's probably good, because I'm trying hard not to think of Stevie Naked on the beach following the Twitch chat here. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's probably out uh, chasing the spring breakers. And uh, 
Next over on the Hollywood Squares is uh, none other than... Nick Marona! Ooh, you're getting fancy. <laughs> Hello. Just as likely to, be... to mess it up. Happy to be here, Mark. Thanks for uh, running the show today. All right. Care's return. Line feed. Next up, the music man, Brian Schubring. I am excited to be here, everybody. Hello. Have fun. Okay. Come on. Someone get that man a lozenge. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me on. All right, next over, uh, Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. All right. Next up, uh, one and only L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hope we have a good time. And then next over is the famous Coco Man, Jason Reichard. Why, hello, everyone. I'm still excited, even though I don't see David Ladd on here currently. Ooh! Mm, we missed David Ladd. And Care's Return, line feed. <laughs> Next up is Sloopy. Greetings. If David Ladd's not here, then why are we even here? I mean, that's the whole reason why I come. I mean, he's the star <laughs> of the show. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Next over, Ron Delvo. Hello. See any good doing? stars? Stars this week? Uh, mostly moon. Mostly moon. Okay. And next Jeez. over is our Alan Murphy. Howdy, howdy, everyone. And last but not least, the man from down under, Nick Marentes. Good eye, everyone. Now what? <laughs> uh, end, end credits. Don't, don't, don't go back. Not to the end credits. That's been overdone. Oh. Even we have a limit on how many times will you do the same old joke. At least yeah, for Stevie doesn't, but we do. We right. Standard. <laughs> Standards. What's that? Uh, well, do we want, do we want to do, uh, uh, we do, game do the on. game on? Let's do the game on results. All right, and let's see. I think we have something from uh, Samuel Gimes on the subject. We do. I have not watched it yet. I'd like to be surprised, so I have no idea what it is. All right, here we go. If I can find the right button. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Four out of five astronauts prefer Mooncresta over other national brands. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he told us it was going to be old school this week. So yeah, those Must are more reminiscent of his earlier works where it wasn't a song parody, but a yeah. thought. Must have been a busy week. It, it's a retro yes. Samuel Gimes is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, that of course... High score challenge All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Moon Cresta with 24 scores submitted. Mark Bosley, 1,340. Nathan, 2,440. C. Duris, 3,290. Boat of Car, 4,800. 
are Alan Murphy, 5,040. Brian Weasler, 5,400. Catlord, 9,600. Joshua Craker, 11,270. Marcy, 11,370. Rich N, 13,540. Just Mike, 15,270. Canadian Retro Things, 16,110. Al Curtis Boyle, 1,660. Mr. Dave, 17,010. Photo NL, 17,130. Kieran, 18,650. Me, 19,280. Gary M, 19,460. Jim Rye, 22,290. AC's Apid Zone, 23,590. Tasman, 28,780. Tom C, 29,170. Buck Owens, 42,740. And the number one score this week belongs to David Craker with 54,500. Nice score, and thank you to everyone for the week's submissions. That's right. Congratulations, David. And I did botch Curtis's score. It was 16,000. I think that was on purpose because you think I get on the leaderboard too much. Yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> it. Well, I, I'd just like to say, ask your rocket scientist if Moon Cresta is right for you. Four out of five rocket scientists agree. It was, it was a good game. It was, uh, you know, published in England. Uh, obviously, um, it actually became part of a contest to win an, an actual Mooncrest arcade cabinet across multiple platforms, which is cool. And apparently, a Dragon user won it. That's right. Sorry, I'm trying to get my screen sharing going here. Hold on. Uh, oh, there we go. You're holding out on us. You're not sharing. I'm trying to. That's why I was vamping, buying you time. Ah. <laughs> bam, bam. All right, I, I'm getting it. You gotta love Zoom updates. They move the furniture again. Oh yeah. All right. So hopefully you should see my screen popping on here any second. Yep. Yeah. And, I see it. Okay. Good stuff. All right. So yes. Um, so thank you to uh, Buck Owens who posted this in the uh, in the uh, Discord channel. This was an ad from Dragon uh, a review in Dragon uh, Dragon Magazine. I'm not sure which magazine it was. Dragonsoft? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, yeah, so this, there wasn't much information. There wasn't any information I found in Rainbows, but this game did come out in 86. And, uh, That's because it wasn't sold in North America. Oh, well, that would be why. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, all right. So thank you to uh, Canadian Retro Things who provided us with some... I'm just not on today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to Canadian Retro. I'm having a bit of trouble today. Thank you, Canadian Retro Things, for a uh, gameplay video. And uh, yeah, let's talk about this game. So uh, I was very surprised when uh, I was told that there was a uh, Coco conversion of Mooncrest. I had no idea. It was one of my uh, the games I really liked in the arcade with the uh, docking uh, mechanic. I really thought that was cool. Uh, so it looks like. CRT is redefining some keys before you. Yeah, plays. I did that he too. He plays with the keyboard. That's funny. I played with a. Uh, I played with a digital joypad. Uh, yeah, I played keyboard too in my one game because I almost forgot to submit a score, and all of a sudden I noticed I only had like twenty minutes. 
So I played one <laughs> game and as good as I did, that's what I submitted because I didn't have time to run this. Oh, time. listen to the excuses. Okay, whatever. Um. <laughs> yeah, you had five minutes, Imby, while you were making dinner, I see. Yeah. Not only did I not have time, but then, you know, Nick goes and drops my score by a factor of magnitude 10. So, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, 1,600. That's why it, it's sorted in between 16,000 and 17,000. So, um, yeah, this, is, it was a, it, this was a good game. There was, um, there was a little bit of debate in the channel this week as to whether the game had color on the Coco, which it does. It's very sparse use of color, but it, it def, definitely does use color. One of the aliens is orange, uh, for example. And, I don't think uh, that was by design, though. I don't know, because in order to get colors, you have to stripe the black and white. Do you think they would have made it striped? Well, they, that, that's their way of doing gray on the dragon, because they don't have artifacting colors, and this was only sold in the UK with PAL systems. They, they would have seen none of this color. Right. So, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Even uh, the PAL Cocos just, didn't show color. I mean, that's the only people that would have bought it. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's intentional, but it's, there's a debate about it, so I don't know. Unless somebody hacked it or something, and maybe this isn't the original shape. Karen, I think, is in the chat, so maybe he can chime in on that, since he yeah. actually lived there. <laughs> yeah, because Karen actually said it was uh, not supposed, not no color. Okay, so on on this color set, they're blue, but look how blue those guys are. Like they, yeah, I think it was just gray stripe lines, just because you can see on the, when it goes diagonally, you can see a yeah, couple of white lines. Stripe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It, it it it's 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 a happy accident that it does have color on the coco with NTSC cocos anyway. Yeah, because look, there's there there their stripe. Yeah, that could be then. Oh, I'm sure it was a happy accident for Tandy when it happened, right? Oh, <laughs> right. So yeah. Color on a cocoa in the first place was the happy accident. Free color. Yeah. So so you're telling me that there's not an RGB patch of this? Uh, there is not. If if there was, it would look like crap. <laughs> it would be black and white. <laughs> so, I actually played it in RGB, like my screenshot. I actually ran on my RGB monitor, so I had the pure white experience, like the dragon people did. True to the authentic. So yeah, so some of the uh, okay. So here's the docking part. Yeah, again, which I like. So uh, yeah, there was. Uh, so for strategy, it's pretty much on the first level, you stay in the middle. And uh, any asteroid you stay in the middle, unless you're tall, then you want to go to the one side. So there are definite patterns in this game. And uh, yeah, and having the multi-shot that wasn't too common back when Mooncrest came out. So that was like where you stack your ships to get extra shots. Yeah. So now he's going to have five five shots. So there was some slowdown with the shooting, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I think mainly did the sound effects, which the yeah. sounds actually pretty good at this game. It's got some pretty cool, cool effects a bit more than your average, you know, blips and bleeps. Yeah. One one thing that is surprising though is that um, this is an official arcade port. It's it's not like in the very early days of of eight bit computers, and this happened a lot in the UK on the Spectrum and some other platforms, and even on the Coco in the very early days, where people would just call the game literally what the game was called in the arcade. And then, of course, the lawsuit, you know, warnings would start happening, and they changed it. Uh -huh. But I, there wasn't too many official arcade ports, even on the Coco in North America. Just a few that Radio Shack did, basically, and then DataSoft, you know, of course, did a few too. Right. Um, but this was one that actually is an official clone, and uh, I don't know how often that happened in the UK on the Dragon in particular, because it was a smaller market than, say, the Spectrum or the, you know, the, later the C64 and stuff. So, was it you, Curtis, who gave that tri the trivia how much the company was paid? In order to no, that uh, was somebody else. I hadn't heard that story. 
apparently they paid some low amount of money that gave them the rights to port it to any system they wanted. Yeah. And what surprised me, if you went through the, the, the trouble of getting it paid licensing, and then you make it on multi-platform, why would you not sell it in North America? Because they had it on platforms that could have ran here too, as well, you know, like, like the Coco, for example. Maybe and that, they because it's Coco. an official license game, which was rare for the Coco, that would have been a, like a big plus in their cap, and I'm sure they would have sold a ton. Maybe they but thought they, the market moved down to the Coco 3 here, because by 86, the Coco 3 was... Uh... Yeah, but we were still selling brand new games in 87, 88, and 89 for the Coco, like Tetris and... Oh, yeah, I guess Gates so. of Delirium and all kinds of stuff were still being sold. So there's still new Coco 1 2 stuff because the Coco 1 2 market was larger than the Coco 3, obviously, because Coco 3 just started. So, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe they just didn't think about it or maybe they thought it was just too much hassle and, you know, dealing with, you know, taxes and customs and everything else. I think it's kind of weird the way the ships kind of bounce, fly back up on the screen and then disappear on this one. They go down. And yeah, that fly. was a bit odd to me. I, I don't. Did the arcade do that? I haven't played the arcade game in so damn long. I don't think long. so. See, they just I, I, that I thought was kind of odd. How do you know it's an official license? Because it said so, and they didn't yeah. get sued. Yeah, it said by Nichibitsu, which is the arcade guys. I think they did uh, Moon Shuttle too, which is one Datasoft license. And also, Kieran said it was officially licensed cross-platform. The one company did all the ports. And they gave uh, away a they gave away a uh, the arcade cabinet. The arcade cab, yeah. Kieran had some posts here in the chat. About uh, yeah, it looks like it's a NTSC uh, video artifact. And there was one screenshot I forgot to. Uh... Yeah, because because Kieran does mention that he, all the moves are done in multiples of two pixels so that the colors don't pulse. That might have been designed that way specifically for NTSC. So apparently, if you hold down the J O H and N screen uh, keys, you get this. Again, thank you to uh, Buck Owens for uh, for this screenshot. If you hold down J O H N during the intro screen, I think. You get this this, uh, this hidden Easter egg credit screen, yeah. Credit screen. There's a few games I did. The Rescan Fractals has one like that too. Also, the article was from uh, Dragon User Magazine, and Dragonsoft was the name of the review section. Thank you, Kieran said. Thank you. I've, yeah, I've, I've... Also, uh, David Croker said that he used a Gravis analog joystick for his uh, high score. Just so you know. Okay. Analog would be uh, oh analog. That's challenging. Kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it's non-centering analog, that'd be challenging. Yeah. One one nice thing too, and this is this happened more in the dragon in the dragon universe than in the Coco universe, like more in the UK. It was the ability to redefine keys, so that the player can make whatever they were comfortable with. And that's that's a feature I wish I more of the Coco games of the time it had, especially after the Coco three Always keyboard nice. came out and mucked up all of the placement of a lot of the things. Yeah. <laughs> Because some of the games I used to play in the old days, like Avenger and stuff, you the keys had to be the Coco 1 and 2 layout, other it becomes just impossible to play. Yeah. I mean, MAME, you can fix that up, but on, real, on the real hardware. Yeah. I, know, I thought it was a, good, a pretty good port. It was it, it, it had some pretty decent sound effects, especially for Coco 1 and 2. It's an actual efficient license, like I said, is extremely rare. Um, it's one that you know, came out you know, kind of dragon-centric first, and then Coco 1 and 2, because Tandy was selling Coco 1 and 2s there. Though Tandy never sold the Coco 3. In uh, the UK, they just kind of let the Coco One Two go until it died. Yeah. So I guess we had some, we had uh, Buck Owens at least was playing some of the other ports this week as well. He played the Commodore sixty four version, the, the Amstrad, and a couple other versions. And uh, he ranked the Coco graphics among the the worst, but I think the game is still fun to play though. So. 
Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with a pretty old technology there. The VDGs from what, 1978? Exactly. So by 86 <laughs> is a long in the tooth. No, I quite liked it. The, the sound effects for me is what kind of put this one up, as well as the multi-fire thing, because that was, you know, for that era, especially in the arcade, when the original arcade game came out, that was a rare thing to get those powered up ship type things like a Galaga style. Yeah. Well, that's why I like this game to begin with in the arcade was the, the uh, docking and powering up. I thought that was so cool. Any tips or strategies besides the staying in the center, which is the same strategy I used? Well, remember the patterns. I mean, these guys, the pattern is pretty easy. And, uh, you know, you take out one one row and then you... I don't know if the, like the asteroid ever... I found, if I wanted to be safe, I would just stay off the left and just shoot one asteroid and just time it. But if you got to the center and you could time your shots, you could get both asteroids every time. You just couldn't mash the fire button. You had to actually sit there and time it and shoot them both. Yeah, but if you were tall, if you were docked and you were in the center, you had a, there was a risk of you getting hit yeah. by the asteroids in, in the center. Yeah. That's why I usually played it safe. I just went off to the left and just shot the one half. Yeah. And you got more. You got a lot of points for docking. You didn't get as many points for killing the aliens. You get the points for where you got your points was the docking. Now, one thing I didn't see is that apparently there's a thirty thousand point bonus you can get where you get three new ships or something. Yeah, it says it says apparently it says uh, have another go, and it gives you three more guys. So Buck that's, Owens that's was really so, generous. <laughs> Buck Owens was so surprised that he lost one of his guys. He thought his game was over. Well, the thing that surprises me is apparently it was that way in the arcade too, except you get sixty thousand. So yeah, in, I never did arcade, that in the arcade either. So in an arcade machine where they, you know, they want to get you off because uh, they want to pump the quarters in. I'm really surprised that they had a, uh, a f three free guys in the arcade. Did, did did Buck mention like did the the speed of the game or the difficulty of the game drastically increase after that three bonus men? I think somebody, I think uh, it might have been, uh, oh, somebody mentioned that uh, after 30,000, the difficulty got Insane. more difficult. So whatever <laughs> whatever level that would equate. Because I imagine the arcade game, if they give you three free ships at 60,000, I'm imagining the ramp the difficulty right up at that point too by quite a bit. Because that's, like I said, that's a really generous offer to a player. Oh. And like you said, in the arcade, they're trying to make money. They don't want you to sit there and have three more men and just, you know, waltz through it for the next half an hour and keep somebody off from paying their 25 cents. Exactly. Oh, and apparently the, the cassette version had a loading screen, which was very nice. Yeah, I've uh, seen uh, a couple of screenshots of that one. Yeah, I don't have the screenshot for that, but if you go on our Discord channel, somebody posted a... I don't know why and, they and that was put that color. on the disc version, though, too, because, I mean, you can just change the pointer in the load M file to load the screen and then skip over to run the, load the game, too, so I'm not sure why they would have not had that included on the disc version. Yeah. Or maybe just somebody just copied the binary and wasn't worried about making it all fancy. Now, uh, there's a tip here. that I did notice this, too. I forgot to bring it up earlier from uh, AC's 8-bit zone, Alan. He says, I noticed that pressing the fire button slowed the aliens even if it didn't fire a new laser shot. And that's true. I was hammering the fire button just to slow them down so I wouldn't get overwhelmed when they were running really fast. Mm. And that actually does work. Yeah. Probably because of sampling the joystick uh, potentiometers that entire time at the same time or something, so it slows it down. Yeah. Because interesting, the fire button by itself shouldn't be that much CPU time. It's basically just a load. But if it, if it uses the button as a trigger to, to read the joystick as well, uh, you know, reading the analog 64 by 64 does slow the machine down a little bit because it's got to check multiple rows and columns and or, uh, voltages and stuff. 
Oh, David Craker posted his speeds way up. So I, I, I imagine that's his response to the uh, does the game get harder as it goes on. So yes, apparently his speeds way up. <laughs> yeah, he said the best I got with the first three men was about 40k, but I lost the bonus three in quick succession right after. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, yeah, I imagine would have to to give that many free men. It's like that's like a warning saying, "Prepare to die." Exactly. See, we had a great turnout this week. I was uh, I was happy with that because uh, a lot of people didn't even know this game existed. So, uh, either at all, we had somebody who didn't had never heard of the game at all, and then or it existed on the Coco, which uh, was a surprise to some. Yeah, if you weren't aware of the, or if you weren't aware of the dragon market, you wouldn't have known this existed because this, like I said, was never sold in North America at all through the Coco's life. Which to me is a bit of a crime. It should have been. but So if there was a version for the Coco then, who was it made for? Well, there, Tandy in the UK sold Coco's. They sold PAL Coco's. Oh, right. Okay. But only Coco 1's and 2's. They never sold the 3. Okay. So this would have been a, a PAL Coco game. Yeah. Which again, points to it being designed for black and white. Yeah, you're probably right. I think the striping looks weird though when it's diagonal. It should have... They, Oh well, that's what they're going for. I guess when they had only black and white, they wanted to give it some sort of variation. So. Yeah, yeah you know, it was a fun game, and it's it, like it's, it's a rare one for Coco people to see on this side of the pond. So, yeah. So thanks to uh, to Sixty for giving us that the suggestion, because because uh, that's when I learned it existed. And uh, thanks again to Buck Owens for your contributions and the CRT for the uh, for the uh, screens. Uh, screenshots and yeah. I'll just try to inject quickly here. We got a comment from the chat from Tom Eric Gunderson asking, uh, Mark, uh, can you is it possible to put the chat back up on the screen because apparently it's not showing on the stream? Oh, yeah, thanks. Go ahead, Nick. All right, oh, thank you. So now we'll go ahead and we'll talk about next week's game. This one you guys will recognize right away. I, I, I'm sure there'll be no Shark Treasure. Shark Treasure. One, one of my favorites. Yeah, so this is an, uh, an original arcade game. You're the little guy, and you start off in the boat, and you have to go down and, and collect gold. And so right now, he's got three gold pieces, and he's also got flashes. But the thing is, he can only hold a combination of three items. The flashes will reverse the directions of the sharks. So you can only hold a combination of three flashes or gold bars so if you, the more gold you collect you can't hold flashes so so it's a risk reward kind of thing and uh you collect you collect uh point money for the gold of course and every time you get eaten by a shark you lose money so you're always going to lose the game you're always going to lose when you run out of money so but this score on the right will keep track of your highest score so that'll be the score that you uh submit for the uh, game so so if he got eaten by a shark he'd, he'd lose 200 dollars then if he picked up more gold then this number would go up and this number would go up if it were bigger than this number if low, uh, lower than this number so this is always your max score on the right so that's the yeah. score you'll keep track of i will mention a couple other little things <clears throat> to get more flares you have to, or to even drop off the gold so it counts as points you have to go up to your little boat on the top and, and pop in it to exchange yes. the gold for flares basically also and the, the flares work to reverse the sharks as long as they're not too close if their mouth's open and they're ready charging you it's too late yeah yeah they lunge at you so be careful and this does fill up you end up you end up with six sharks eventually 
and, and yeah and then the speed uh, starts increasing on some of the sharks too <laughs> yeah they'll go at, uh, yeah they'll go at varying speeds like at first i think the speeds are pretty much even and slower yeah but, but if then, you, once you feel the scream of sharks if you if you're still successful and i will mention one trick here i probably shouldn't because I, I could get a better score than most people maybe if they didn't know this but <laughs> basically you can ride in the shark's tail he will never notice that you're behind him so you can run right into him literally like follow him and you'll have the joystick crammed right over and you don't have to worry about it until he goes off the edge of the screen to reverse then of course he'll chomp you but but basically unless you're in front of the shark's mouth the shark will not do anything to you you can hit him on the top fin you can hit him on the underbelly you can hit him on the tail and it doesn't matter yeah and there i just spoiled all my high scores sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh it's still a challenging game regardless it's a fun one. I mean, I, 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 this is one of the games like Dino Wars that I usually show to younger kids because they go, oh, cool, you know, fishies or sharks, whatever. But when that shark lunges, because it, it, it really does lunge you when you get too close, they all jump. It's, all, it's hilarious yeah. to watch. Yeah. All and right. 16K required, that's it. It's a fairly low-end game. So even if you have only have a 16K Cocoa 1 or 2, this will work fine. That's right. All right. So that is our game next week. And uh, thank you, Mark, and thank you to everybody who played this week. And I look forward to seeing what you guys can uh, do with this game. All cool. right. Do you want me to our... do game on news and then we go to acquisitions, or do you want to do acquisitions first and then I'll loop game on news with the regular news? Any preference, Mark or Brian? <laughs> I was thinking commercial myself. Well, okay, but after the commercial. Commercial. <laughs> Um. Yeah, we can just go into the game on news if you want, right after the commercial. Okay. Yeah, there's only there's only six stories. It's pretty small. And then we'll go straight to the acquisitions. And then our star of the show, Brian Weasel, will take over. I only see five. Did you slip in an extra one? Oh, that's right. I had to pull the one because he yanked his page down. Ah, gotcha. Five. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
the Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? Okay, let me share the old screen here. Oh, wait, shoot. Forgot to share sound, just a second. I wish that would default. Probably better it doesn't. <laughs> well, in my case, it'd be better if it did. <laughs> Should have a preference at Anyway, it's a fairly light uh, news week, uh, both on the Game On News. The regular news, we've got a few things, and we'll have a bit of an extended video to talk about when we get to that. But for the Game On News, we've got uh, some updates from Sheldon McDonald. Now, we've shown his um, game project, which is kind of an island defense game where you're trying to protect your island from you know, ships and stuff coming trying to attack you. And he's actually using both the Coco VGA on the Coco 1-2 version. He's also got a Coco 3 version. And he's also using the uh, Game Master cartridge for the sound. So this is a bit of a demo he did here of a work in progress for it. Um, so this is the Coco VGA version with the GMC and actual gameplay and scoring because the previous demos did not have that. So I will skip ahead because I'm not going to play the whole thing here. But Is that loud enough to hear? We don't hear it at all. How about now? Nothing. What the heck? Okay, I'm going to stop sharing again and just double check my sound <laughs> sharing here. No, share sound is checked. So, what the heck's going on? Yeah, I wonder about something. Let me try something. All right, try it again. Okay. So can you hear anything? Yep, we can hear it now. Oh, you can? Okay. What would you change? I stopped sharing my screen. Oh, okay. So apparently you can share multiple videos at the same time, just not audio. Ah, okay. Good to know. Anyway, you can see here he's got the ships coming. He's got score added, which he did not have previously. The little sun is moving across the screen. And it's uh, joystick controlled, so you change the angle of your ship, etc. 
So he's added a bit there. But then he went and did another video after that that he put up on Facebook instead. So this one here, it's got some uh, further things. We started adding in airplanes and parachutists to the mix. Uh, here is a test with some airplanes and some parachuting guys. So I'm going to be playing with one hand, so it might be a little tough. I'm guessing you have to shoot the, the objects more than once to kill them, because I've seen and you can hear them hitting some planes and stuff. But sometimes it's going to take a few shots to kill them. But the game is definitely coming along quite well. And like I said, this is the Coco 1 and 2 version with the Coco VJs and the 16 color modes that have been added. So this is the first game I know of, of a machine language you know, quality that is actually using the Coco VJs extra graphics modes plus using a sound card at the same time. So this is like really pushing the Coco 1 and 2 on board. So for your Coco 1 and 2 owners that have a, a Coco VJ installed and you get this, I don't know if he's playing and selling it on the cartridge or if he's going to use the cartridge as a peripheral device, but there's some pretty cool gameplay coming your way. Next up, we have Paul Shoemaker, who's uh, also working on a game, uh, which we don't know too much about at this time, but uh, he's been fiddling with some graphical effects to animate the intro screen. So he did one here, which is kind of his intro, and this is what he's got so far. Apparently it's called Monkey. So it's kind of a uh, static TV dissolve in to clear the picture up type thing. And as he describes here in the section here, he's using or and Eeyore with to mess with the bites in a graphic image as they are displayed in the screen. And the distortion values he's pulling out of uh, basically the color basic ROM, which is you know how some of the noisy sound routines for explosions and stuff are done on some other games too. So that ROM is darn useful apparently for sound and graphics effects. <laughs> But it's a pretty cool effect. I mean, we just saw one from Paul Thayer not too long ago in the Coco 3 where he kind of did that spotlight wipe where it light up the characters going across as if a spotlight had hit them so they're darker on the outsides and then bright in the end. And then we've got an alternative one here that's, you know, Coco 1 and 2 compatible without, you know, massive palettes. That looks pretty cool too. So it's, it's interesting to see some of the different game developers that are coming up with these different new ideas we haven't really seen too much. And I did want to mention too, Nick Randy's were actually doing an offline chat earlier this week. We're just trying to figure out, you know, as far as, you know, game development goes. And there's at least 10 to 12 projects for the Coco in the games realm alone that are going on right now of, of various kinds. There's a few basic ones. There's a few OS9 ones. There's a bunch of ML ones. There's some for the, you know, some of the newer hardware like the Coco VJ and the GMC. So it's, it's a pretty good time to be a Coco gamer because you're going to have a whole bunch of titles coming out within the next six months to a year or less in some cases. Next up, I have been doing some uh, updates on my webpage. Um, so I've probably added, I don't know, maybe a dozen games or so since the last three weeks, four weeks, for the first time in about a year almost. Uh, but this one I wanted to highlight a little bit. This is Gates of Delirium, which is kind of an Ultima style game done by DICOM products. And it was actually programmed by three guys, Roland Knight, Dave Shuchin, and Dave Dyes, all collaborated. This It fills two discs pretty well to the brim. So it's a huge one. Uh, these screenshots here, you can kind of see, you know, the intro screens and then the gameplay, which if you've played Ultima, it's pretty similar to what you're used to in Ultima 2, Ultima 3 level style. But one thing I did have see is that uh, quite a few years ago, I think 2006, uh, Tim Linder and uh, three other guys had made what they called the Gates of Delirium Archive. 
And what they did there was that they actually decoded all the maps, decoded the graphics, went into the internals, of how the game worked. And it was this huge page that had a whole bunch of information on it. And then for some reason it disappeared like a decade, decade and a half ago and went off the web. I knew I had saved a copy of it because I wanted to do some research for my games page back then. Uh, and they had all this information that even I didn't know from playing it back in the day. But I kind of lost it. And I finally found the CD burn that, you know, on some unmarked CD in the middle of nowhere. I finally found my copy of it. So I put up the entire archive. So it's back online now. Uh, Tim Linder, kind of give a thank you. There's also Andrew Ayers, Michael Crawford, and John Riddle. And it includes some disk image stuff in there. I think it's DMK format. So it's not a fully cracked one. So you might have to use MAME. Um, but it includes like a cheat mode. Uh, you can start building your character and adding, you know, items and stuff because the game was darn hard back in the day. You had to save constantly. So I'm just going to show you a bit of the archive itself. So this is what the intro screen looked like when they first put it up back in 2006. And then it's got, you know, different sections here, play the game with the disc images, the original manual, which you can also find on the color computer archive extras, which is just some of the, you know, the discs and the maps that came with the game, et cetera. And then it's got some graphical stuff. So the view cast of characters, and he actually shows the animations for these, and these are ripped right off the original disc. So you can see stuff like sea monsters and water and gorgons and stuff. But there's a few little hidden bits in here too. If you look at the very bottom, you'll see on the left, uh, the asterisk means not used in the game. So these graphics that they actually drew for the game and then never used. And there's a few of them hidden here. Like uh, the top row, you can see dog. I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be or not. It looks The head looks a little odd for a dog. So I'm sure it was supposed to be something else originally. And then there's other ones like the sword near the bottom. That one was never used either. So it looked like they had some plans and the things changed. No, I don't. I do know that if you look in Rainbow, when it was first advertised at the beginning of 1987, and it didn't get released for about half a year after that, the layout of the screen itself, the gameplay screen, is violently different from what the final release was. And if you look in later ads of Rainbow, you'll see they switched it over to the new one. Now, DICOM did this twice because uh, Gauntlet 2 was the same thing. They originally showed the original ads for Gauntlet 2 had a black background for the floor. And when the final release came out, it was actually a full-colored stone you know epis there type thing so obviously DICOM was showing some screenshots from early development of the game before it was finalized on both of those cases but this is kind of it kind of gives you a little bit of the history of the game without actually knowing the full history because you can see some things were planned that never never made it but the graphics were left on the on, on the game itself so that that's pretty cool my favorite part of those is the maps and this is a way to basically let you see how big this game was and basically it's based on the hollow earth theory so you've got your outside world which is where you start and there's nothing in the instructions telling you any of this you have to discover all this yourself and you've got towns and islands and eventually you get boats and you can travel between there's moon gates too those go in phases so there's a at the bottom of the screen you'll see six moons in various crescent forms etc and they just you know they go from gibbous to crest to new moon to full moon etc and when two of those line up, uh, the gates will activate and you've got a few turns that you can run into the gate and it'll teleport you somewhere else, including some places. That's the only way you can get there. Um, so that that was part of it. But then there, when there's one particular dungeon, most of the dungeons are eight levels deep. There's one or two that are nine. And, and the nine ones, usually you go down a regular size dungeon to the ninth level. And then the ninth level deep is actually twice as big. And then you go up to the other side and then you go back up eight levels, not quite to the surface, but you have to do this loop to get through everything and you you get to add people to your party and there's certain hidden objects your object the game is to get gate keys you need eight of them to unlock the gates of delirium that the title's from 
but uh, once you found this one particular dungeon in Twin Cities 1, it's called Twin Cities 1. Now, if you've been all over the first map, there's no Twin Cities 2, so you're kind of wondering what the hell does that Twin Cities 1 mean? Well, if you go in the dungeon that's hidden in the town, there's 32 levels of dungeon you have to go through, and then you come out in the inner world, so it's a hollow earth theory. And then you got a whole other new world to explore, which I remember when I was playing it, I was going, Jesus, dungeon's deep, because I played this 1987, I think me and a guy named Barkley McGinnis, we were swapping disc saves. We were taking shifts on the game basically over the summer, and it took us three months to solve it. Because there was a contest too, a Gates uh, Delirium contest. Uh, the bottom five prizes was a free DICOM baseball cap. The next five prizes was a free game from DICOM of your choice. And the first prize was a Coco 3 brand new. So we were trying to see if we could win one of those. And we did win the game. We did submit it and we found out that all 11 prizes had already been long gone. So what a waste of a summer because basically we were playing it like literally 16 hours a day between the two of us for the two and a half, three months straight. So, uh, but I just want to show you the uh, maps here. So you can see this is the extent and this is scrollable too. So there's, you know, a fair bit. This is just the upper world and the different continents. You can see little animations of like towns and castles and, and there's dungeons that are not moving. There's the water moves. I mean, you've got boats there's a couple different kind of boats that are flying around too and, and the way this map is set how, up sorry how big a grid is this it's pretty good sized yeah it is i don't know is it 256 or 256 i can't remember i have to check or maybe 128 by 128 might be 256 i can't remember off the top of my head it is mentioned though he, he he's got a lot of specs that if you go through the website there's a lot of stuff explaining the internals and how it works but all the things that are enterable are clickable so if you want to see like this particular town well there you go this is what the map of the town looks like and it's there's a set grid now this particular town doesn't extend all the way to the edge here but you can see like in this case here there's a ration shop there's a healing shop there's weapons and there's a little hidden part if you go through this forest now the way this was set up like the original ultima there's certain terrain you cannot see through like mountains and forest you can't see more than one square ahead so you have to literally explore through here to find this little passage and there's a little dungeon over here and if you want to go take a look at the dungeon well here's a, here's a map of the dungeon with the various levels too in each uh, chunk of the dungeon here, you can just scroll through and there's, you can see where the ladders are. There's a healing fountain over here, another sub dungeon over here type thing. So it's uh, it's pretty extensive. This all fit on one disc? Two discs. Okay, two discs. Yeah, there was the main boot disc and then there's the player disc, which saves all your player stats and you get up to eight players on your in your party. You start with one you make yourself and then you have to find the different ones. And if I remember correctly, six of them are on the top world and two of them are in the underworld. And here's lava pits and all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a little crescent moon island here. But there's just a ton of stuff in this game. So I'm going to go back to view maps individually. And you can see here is the main world, the other world, as they call it. Uh, so this is the second world that you travel down to, the, in, the interior of the hollow earth, which is a little bit smaller, but not by much. There's the ultimate goal, the gates delirium. Between these two mountain ranges, there's a whole bunch of keys. And you have to get these gate keys to unlock them all. And then when you get through there, you get a secret message that you would send to, to DICOM to win the prize if you got in early enough, which unfortunately we didn't. And then once again, you can go and you know check out an individual town. Like this is a very small one here. And once again, you know, hidden it. Now some of them are fairly. Uh, close like especially the twin cities etc they kind of are well, the twin cities they actually looked identical except that you had different people to find in them so but very extensive maps there's tons of dungeons there's tons of towns some of the towns are actually like the ghost town is actually set up 
as if it's half abandoned and destroyed. So there's chunks of like ground showing through the brick roads, et cetera. So they kind of made it, you know, kind of a historical thing. And, and there's nothing in the weapons. There's nothing in the rations. There is a healing fountain that still works, but uh, you know, there's nothing to steal. I don't know how many people on the panel have played the Ultima series of games here, but it's quite close to that. Then all the dungeons, shrines, the demo map, which is just the one on the intro screen, never appears in the actual game. Uh, and then the other part we've got in there is technical information where it actually goes through how the actual stuff is set up. Um, and also some of the utilities that he's put on here to view these maps, etc. I'm not going to go through it because there's like 20 some odd megabytes of information and maps and stuff in here. So you guys can go through it if you're Peru. So if you decide to download and try the game out, you can use that to actually kind of navigate around, which is a big help. <laughs> I wish I'd had that because I still, I found my old uh, graph paper book actually. And it's an entire book of graph paper just filled with maps for outside worlds, dungeons, towns, everything else, because we were going through and trying to figure out how to win the game back in the day. So it's it's a long haul dungeon crawl, but very impressive game. And it's one of three Ultima style games we got on the Coco. Um, that, I think this was the first one. The second one is Paladin's Legacy, which is by Sundog. And then we had a Coco 3 only one, which has even better graphics and is even bigger. It, it fills three 40 track discs. And that's the seventh link by Bleak Triad. Now there was a, a hint, like if you go through some of the notes that they left here, they were planning on doing a seventh link um, version of a website similar to this, which I would have loved because that one I never did finish. Uh, but I did talk to Tim Linder and he said, now nah, as far as he knows, that never got off the ground. So hopefully somebody will pull that out and make it at some point in time. So this will play on Coco 1, Coco 2? Yep, 64K, well. Coco 1 or 2, disc required, no joysticks. All right. Straight keyboard. But if you're, in, if you're into RPGs and dungeon crawlers, this, this is a good one. One of the best for the Coco anyway. And I would rank it up between Ultima 2 and Ultima 3. An expansive, like if you want a game that you're going to get, you know, replayability for months because it's going to take you that long to win it, go for it. <laughs> okay, next up we've got uh, Erico has been, of course, working on his semi-graphics uh, karate style game. So he's done a couple other little graphic demos showing some things here. So he's got this little GIF demo here. We actually see them like bumping into each other and doing different moves on each other. And made a little splash. And then he did an actual video kind of showing it here. And it's in basic. I mean, this, all this animation is in basic. I don't know if it's copyright song, so I'll just turn it down. And this is kind of a mini game he's done uh, just to kind of experiment with the concepts he's doing. It's not the full game he's planning on doing. It's kind of a mini game. And you can hear the Coco sound itself coming through there in the background. I like the Crested Moon he's got up in the corner, too. And the water actually moves a little bit. But I, I mean, as, as we've many times commented before, the, the fact he's pulling off animations like this that actually look legit on semi-graphics for the lowest mode the Coco has, basically. He's, he's done incredible work on this. And last but not least, uh, the Amigos have officially released episode 18 of their Coco Show podcast, which was covering Demon Attack. Now, they've recorded the next month's one, which is Rescue and Fractals. They did that live on Twitch. So if you ever want to catch these early, you can watch them on their Twitch channel. Um, 
but that has uh, all the extras of like setting up the show and stuff too. So these are the more polished. I don't know if uh, Aaron would agree that they're ever polished, but uh, this is the more polished versions of the show. And they've started adding in the chapter headers too. So you can kind of see like this, this first part's titled Ridiculous Banter, which is probably one of the most accurate descriptions I've seen. Um, but they do a review of Demon Attack, which is a game. I, Nick, we haven't covered this one on uh, your game on Challenge yet, have we? Or did we? No, we did one recently, didn't we? Nick Morota? Sure, we did Demon Attack. Yeah, I think actually it was probably a recent one, actually. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, <laughs> Demon Attack. Yeah, we played Demon Attack. Yeah, so they, they quite like the game, too. In fact, I think they actually uh, contributed some scores to that particular one. But uh, but just to give you an idea what, because uh, the other show is, is, is nice and, and casual, relaxed, like it's not too regimented. So they've got, you know, reviewing the game and to go through history of the game, et cetera. But they also have, like I said, this ridiculous banner part at the beginning. So I'll just play a little bit of that, just give you a kind of feel for those who have not watched their show before, what it's kind of like. Aaron, have you ever been attacked by a demon? <laughs> I lived with one for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Now, now, Aaron, I know that you've never really been attacked by a demon, but you have seen a couple demons in your life. Um, I don't think that everyone listening knows the, the epic tale of what happened one night after that train passed by Davaronius. So maybe you, you better you better you better relate that story. Your obsession with that story is it, unnerving to me. I love anyway, I won't spoil the story. You'll have to go watch the episode. Um I will mention too, because this is the last uh, game on uh, news thing here, is that they have a thing called the International Computer Club. Um which I've mentioned a few times before I've actually been on and I'm gonna be on it tonight which is basically just multi-platform, multi-retro platforms type thing, or even some modern stuff. And they run it roughly about every three months. They do one one of these meetings and it's a big uh, call on Zoom that you you sign up for type thing. And then they just stream it live on Twitch and people can ask questions in the Twitch chat. So it might actually fork over to them after Coco Talk's done uh, you know, when, when they started up. So that's on tonight. I, I'll be showing off the Gates of Delirium Archive is one of the things I wanted to show off there for the Coco presentation, because that's a that was a huge project that went missing for years. So I'm glad to have it back up and running, but uh, yeah, go and support the guys. Um, I know a few people from our panel and, and people from our community have now joined their discord and stuff too, so they can contribute reviews. And I'm hoping I'm not going to be the only one contributing Coco reviews for games there. Um, so some of the other people there, like I know they're doing um, Springsters, the next game they're going to be doing. So if you want to do a review for that, if you're on their discord, please submit one to their their channel for the Coco Show reviews. That looks like an interesting game. It's not one I've seen before, but if it's cool, it might end up in our uh, challenge one week. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a unique one. It's it's original. It's it's got some basic you know Qbert style elements and stuff, but it's one you definitely have to read the manual because there's so many different things to pick up with that do different things. That if you if you're manualist, it, it it's it's a bit of a bear to try to figure out what the heck you're doing. Okay, plug for those guys, and uh, that ends the game on news. I did have another story, because uh, uh, Cuthbert Dragon, the last two days, had been releasing these three-pack videos where you'd have space games three-pack, and a racing games three-pack, and a Cuthbert three-pack, and they were pretty good. I'd actually just watched some of them this morning, because he'd added another one, and then right before the show, I went to go load them all up to get them ready for the show, and his entire page went blank, so... Hopefully they'll be back up next week. Not sure what happened there. Okay. We'll be right back with the news. Call, call, talk, middle, me, turn. 
after these messages. Coucou de c'est le coq champion des micros et dames de pion. Pour le jeu, il n'y a pas d'attrape. Les études, c'est pas bizarre. L'expansion, il en va pas. Les commandes, il en va pas. Notre coucou est bon dans l'âme. Pour tes coups, c'est bien serviable. Coucou de de radio chaton, l'envers est dans le sac. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité. Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? Hi, Ron Delvo, Timberman, Coco Fest. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack Storewide Manager's Red Tag Sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Christmas. Muppet News Flash. All right, let's see if I can select the correct one this time. <laughs> hey, that's just the browser this time. Looks good. Okay, thanks. Okay, so uh, we covered last week at Mike Rowan at the Coco Crew was uh, producing a series of videos and setting up printer sharing, wireless printing, using old printers with new computers, using uh, old com- old or new c- printers with old computers, et cetera. So it was kind of this 
whole thing of doing a Raspberry Pi, installing Linux on it, and then having it so the Cocoa can communicate to it and that other PCs on the network can communicate to it. So he's added the rest of the series. So it ends up being nine uh, episodes long. And, uh, and I kind of made a, a joke here that uh, who knew is printing was so involved, it would take almost two hours to set up. There's almost two hours of videos here going through it all. But all joking aside, this goes into a lot of the technical detail. It shows you how to install Linux on the Pi. It shows you how to install CUPS, the, the printing system. It shows you how to link it up for wireless networking and, and you know, basically just going through everything, including you know at a low level, how the Coco handled the BitBanger port, et cetera. So it's actually a very, very good series. Um, and I know a few people have commented already on the Facebook uh, postings on this, that they've actually already tried it and got the printing working the same as, as Mike did. And some others are planning on doing it at some time when they, they get time to go through all the videos. So. If you're interested in using either your retro printers on modern computers, like you use the DMP-130 here as an example, or the other way around, if you want to start being able to print from the Cocoa and kind of drive the Linux box to print on modern printers, it's a really good video series to uh, to check out. So go check it out. It's on the Cocoa Podcast page. Um, normally their stuff is pretty well audio only. This is definitely video related because that's to show you how everything works. So it's a really good series by Mike. And this one, I will just mention a little bit of it, but I will let Brian talk about this himself. Uh, Brian Schubring, of course, the music man. He's been uploading a ton of stuff on how to use Ultimuse 3. Uh, and he's got some tutorials on how to enter a score in and then some a bit more advanced techniques and some of the little tips and tricks, especially the stuff that's been added to Ultimuse in later years, because uh, it's actually one that's still being maintained by Bill Pierce, who has done updates to it in the last few years. So Brian, did you want to kind of cover what you've got on here and then uh, where you're planning on going? Ah, sure. How's my auto coming through? Good. I can hear it. <laughs> All right. Yep. Good. Just wanted to make sure my audio was going. Um. Well, that's basically three sets of uh, videos that I've got up here right now. Uh, two of the videos were for what I had originally done way back before I got the capture card. That when we originally went down the road of redoing the MIDI pack, um, and that you know, the MIDI Maestro. And that, and then just showing some of the uh, different things. So that was the you know, the Coco MIDI episode one and two. Then I did uh, uh, five of the series for uh, Ultra Music using it, put it in the scores and that. And then, uh, and then I also did the preview, which actually went through and showing more what was in the program itself going through the different menus and how to go with things and it was bringing back a bunch of memories and all that and that's one of the reasons why i uh quoted i may not be always be right but i think i know what i'm saying <laughs> kind of things <laughs> so you know so i corrected myself on a couple small things and whatnot and i didn't try to go in much into the music theory of things more of getting how to get music into Ultra Muse. That was that was my uh, whole thing with that. Um, you know, I'm going in several different directions. I said I just had a shall we say a a hair sticking out someplace. I says, okay, let's do something about this. <laughs> and so I cre I uh, created through and um, got several different ideas. He was even thinking about maybe uh, doing a. Uh, a live stream through YouTube and kind of like a question answer through chats and well, what about this? I got this question. How do you do this? Thing is, is I really don't know how many people would be using Ultramuse and all that. So there may not really be a need to do that. 
And it was it was just one of those quirky th- things I thought of. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. At the well, I know you put a voting poll up on, on Facebook and several of the groups asking if people would like to see you do some videos going through kind of your history with MIDI, like why you chose you know, Altamuse originally. And, and yeah, you know, yeah. How you kind In of fact, learned that... MIDI and how you upgraded your synths and stuff as you went. Yeah, yeah. You've been getting pretty good positive feedback on doing that. I would say there is at least some interest in it. On on that, yes, for sure. Well, I was the uh, the live thing that I was thinking about. It, this hasn't been put out there at all. It's just something I was thinking about was possibly doing a live feed through YouTube. I personally, I would think that would be a good idea because, like you said, you can have people ask questions live in the chat or whatever. Or maybe we can set up a Zoom call and make it a you know kind of yeah. official Coco Talk you know segue yeah. show. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of people that have been buying the MIDI Maestro, so, and then you they, you can even plug it into your your PC and use the you know the sound cards on there to do the MIDI. You don't actually need a full blown mm-hmm. MIDI synth anymore. So yeah, I think the opportunity is definitely there, and people can learn how to use it. Maybe we can actually get some you know, soundtracks for games yeah. and stuff. And yeah, that's that's the that's is the one nice thing. If you already have a a computer, a, a modern computer, regardless if it's Linux or Windows or Mac. You know, if if you can get a hold of a USB to MIDI adapter that you plug into your uh, MIDI port, and as long as it has both MIDI in and MIDI out support for that adapter, you can actually not even have to worry about buying equipment. You there's different uh, software since out there. Uh, there's even free like a VCV, which is um, a uh, an analog. Um, synthesizer rack a big huge rack set up and ah thank you oh that's oh you're doing the video <laughs> i just thought we have that going in the background instead of just hearing us talk <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know it's you know you, you know it's totally free and you can uh, port stuff in i've actually done it before you know there's there's so many different options and medium that you can use you don't need to have drive wire going in order to do midi you know, you could if you've got the MIDI Maestro and you've got a laptop or a computer and you've got a software synthesizer and you can use that to create your sounds and use the Coco to uh, do the music in that, regardless if it's um, Coco MIDI Pro or if it's Ultra Muse or you know what have you in that. Lira, if you're going to Coco One and Two, yeah. that does mm-hmm. MIDI too. Exactly, exactly. And um, I was actually just looking through some of, uh, oh, the name escapes me now. Um, <clears throat> Sabitha, um, his, his site, and um, some of the uh, Coco uh, Fest pictures that he's taken, because he was real big on that. And I was looking back, oh, wow, I forgot all about that. I had that particular piece of equipment. <laughs> You know, it's because, you know, how many times do you really take pictures of your own uh, stall when you're at one of the um, Cocoa Fest and that? So, you know, just just going through the reminders. Of, God, I can't remember I did that. So but anyway, I don't want to rattle on too much, but uh, it's I just enjoy doing it. And I just want to just share out there, you know, hey, this is what I love to do. And, you know, hey, use me as a sounding board. Sometimes I might be able to help you along. So yeah, Michael Pitsley made a comment. Oh, now he tells me there's USB to MIDI after I bought a MIDI keyboard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as long as you got the adapter, I've I've done it. I've actually created using an Arduino. Um, I created using uh let's see, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? 
I don't think anybody else will be able to see it here unless I stop the sharing this. So. Oh yeah, well, I actually you know, took our. When we, when we get to the when we get to the uh, product updates and acquisitions, you can show it off then. Okay, that that works. Yeah, it's 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 just in pieces right now, but yeah, it's it's. I just simply use an Arduino to um, uh, send out MIDI information for uh, using as a controller, not for pressing the keys for for, for the notes. Although you can do that, but for doing some of the different um, um, things such as oh, I want to change a patch, or I want to uh, change, you know, do a slide, you know, you know, with the modulation or the vibrato or something like that. So you know, I was just was playing around with that, and I was putting that uh, through VCV, uh, VCV, and um, through the through the MIDI port that I've got, and worked out fine. So, but anyway, enough of that. I personally, I think it would be a good idea to try to set up a live stream. Maybe we can, you know, kind of pre-schedule so people know when it's happening instead of just springing it on them yeah. live. Yeah, because I think yeah. I think MIDI on the Coco is something that's a bit under unappreciated, except for those that have done it in the past. Because I mean, I, I do know several bands that used to take a Coco on the road. Uh, Bill Pierce being one, the guy who's kind of kind of in charge of all the music now. Yeah, um, like he he did take it on the road. He he did his backing synth tracks and drum tracks, and he played live guitar and sang. And I know a few people even locally here. I mean, I think the Atari ST was probably the most common PC back in the late 80s, early 90s that was doing this. But the Coco was actually pretty far up there. I did see a few of them doing it. Yeah. And I mean, Altamuse in particular, doing 16 tracks and multiple patches, you could run it through the Bitbanger port. Like if you wanted the least barrier to entry, if you had a MIDI capable synth already, yeah. you know, just from playing keyboards, it's just literally like a $5 cable and you can use it to play out. And then if you want to get more advanced, you get an actual MIDI pack or the MIDI Maestros, as the new ones are called. And then you can do like live recording off the keyboard to record your parts. And then you yeah. add drums and stuff manually using you know something like this. So it's yeah. a very versatile platform for uh, doing this. And there's stuff for Disc Basic, there's stuff for Nitrous 9. You know, there's a, a variety of ways to do it. And you can get as involved in the hobby as you want. You want mm -hmm. to just do it, you know, very cheaply. You can use the Bitbanger cable and, you know, throw it into a PC with a serial to bit or USB adapter and play through your MIDI built in on your sound card on your Mac or PC. Or you can, you know, go right out to a raw MIDI synth and, have at or you can chain them together with midi pro and you'll have three or four cents <laughs> playing simultaneously yeah yeah I, th I think there was even a way where you could use the clocks to uh actually have multiple computers together and tie the clocks together and so that you can have if you need to have something more you you can but i've never seen it done and i never figured out how to do it and i think darren ottery did i think he demoed it during our uh virtual cocoa fest if I remember correctly. What tied multiple uh, cocos together and the oh, multiple cocos together? No, I meant multiple synths on one coco. Sorry. Oh yeah, you could. Well, I've got that, you know, right now. You know, and then I can I can uh, tie in uh, four different synthesizers. Well, actually, about maybe eight if I really wanted to. But yeah, because I mean, back then you had certain patches that sounded like the drums really sound good on this synth, then, but they're kind of fakey sounding on this other one. But this one has really good horns. So you could actually yeah. program, you know, this synth, you're going to handle the horn section. This synth, you're going to handle the drum section. You're going to do the guitar over here. You know, yeah, thing, yeah, so. exactly, exactly. So, all right. Um, anyway, you know, I, I would definitely consider doing it. Uh, just let us know when you want to do it. We'll try to set up a time, maybe plan it a week or two ahead so we can kind of give people. Yeah, a, you know, yeah, it, it's going to be. When it's coming up. Um, it would be a month or so out and whatnot, um, you know, so that a the word can get out there that uh, this is going to be a, a possibility and you know just select a date because you know i don't want to 
do do something have only like one or two people just you know show up because they didn't hear about it um and that but uh or in that but you know i just want to have the the people know that hey it's out there available and you know you know zoom would definitely be uh, a, de- a better platform to do it if possible because then um like especially if we can get like bill pierce on um you know, a couple other Aaron uh, Audrey, inclined. Um, Daniel yeah. O'Connor, you know, who all have yeah. used this stuff professionally too. Exactly, because because then we can bounce things uh, across each other and whatnot, just uh, and to get some different points of view and all that. Because there's some things that I know that I don't do because I'm not a professional musician, but you know, I can fake it with the cocoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, keep, keep putting out the videos, and we'll we'll, we'll see if we can yep. set something up here and kind of give everybody a heads up when it's going to happen, and uh, yeah, try to yeah, get some of the other definitely. people that you know do this for a living involved too to show their their side of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, I probably do it after I uh, get that video out because it looks like it's going to be uh, video time um, of the things that I've done in the past. So anyway, yeah. back to you. Yeah, and here's the if, if anybody's interested in that uh, poll that he was taking to see who'd be interested in seeing Brian's kind of history of MIDI and how he went through different synths as time went on kind of the history of how you discovered Ultimus and, and used it, et cetera, there. It seems you, you got 36 to two of, of definitely want to see it too. Yeah, sure. And I don't see anybody saying no. So I think it's safe to say we should yeah. set something up. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is more or less tongue in cheek and whatnot, but I want to just kind of like uh, see what kind of uh, reaction I was going to get on that. And, you know, yeah. I kind of figured it was going to go this way, but, you know, I want to have tongue in cheek for the people who were the big naysayers yeah <laughs> all right hey next up we've got it mr ed snyder now first i'll do it with this screen here so this is basically his announcement and now we've seen that he's got his new pick uh, equipment there for actually placing chips and resistors and capacitors on boards without having to do the tedious mucking about by doing it by hand paraphrasing from douglas adams there so basically he's mentioned that the gimme x is going to be out this summer and he's actually got pricing now um, he does mention that if you upgrade your CPU to a socket at 609 and you send it to him to do it, that'll be an initial $25 for the chip and the labor to put it in. But the Gimme X with an 8 meg upgrade board will be $170 US plus shipping. Uh, the Gimme X with 2 meg will be $140. And then the additional $25 for the 6309 and socketed. And of course, the, all the different things we know it has you know, higher video modes, more color. Uh, the 2.86 megahertz acceleration, which Nitrous 9 already supports. You can download that version on the site. So if you, you get the uh, preview, I should mention he's actually taking a couple preview orders because um, basically he's, he's in the midst of moving and then he's got to get his you know, pick equipment set up. Uh, but he's going to do a few the old fashioned way uh, to get some, you know, to some people that want it in advance. And then the official you know, for sale for the general public will be in the summer. So if you want to, you can contact him via email. And if you get in early enough on the list there, then you should be able to get you know one of the kind of preview releases of it uh, i've got one for a developer here and i still owe him some money here as soon as you know work finishes picking back up the normal but uh it's, it's an awesome board it, and it has a ton of other features some of which we'll go through here on a video that i'll show you right away but i just wanted to get the uh, you did mention another yeah, if you do not want a memory upgrade, if you already have a 2 meg board that you're happy with. Now, I will mention some of the video modes, especially the really high color, high res ones that are like huge, do require faster RAM than some of the older 1 and 2 meg boards had. Uh, 
So if you want full compatibility, his boards are guaranteed to work. The Triad Plus for sure works. And the Boomerang E2, if you have the latest firmware upgrade to it, will also work. But if you have an older one, or if you have the original Triad, or if you have the original Dista 1 and 2 MIG boards, or even some of the NOCAN ones that Paul Barton did, I don't believe those are fast enough to handle these modes. You can still use it. You'll still get all the various output devices, like you can run a VGA, you can run S-Video. Um, it will actually do artifact colors on VJ and analog RGB and stuff too, which I mean, the current gimme does not. It also supports all the semi-graphic modes that the Coco 1 and 2 had properly that the Coco 3 only does partially. So it solves a lot of backwards compatibility. So the Gimme X is actually more compatible to Coco 1 and 2 than the original Gimme is. So even if you don't have one of these, if you have, if you have an existing RAM upgrade, you don't feel like upgrading or can't afford to upgrade right now, you still get all those benefits regardless. Um, it's just some of the high-risk graphics modes that require the uh, the fast RAM that some of the more modern upgrades do have. So I did want to mention, if you have a memory upgrade already and you not, don't want to replace it or you know it works, it's $95 without a memory upgrade. And then, of course, the prices we mentioned earlier with memory included. And the 639 is an option. Anyway, you release this video kind of going through the various modes. Now, this is a fairly long one. It's nine minutes. But it does a lot of demonstration of artifacting, non-artifacting, the five different outputs that are possible. And it's, it's I think, of enough interest to the Cocoa community. Uh, I think I will play the whole thing because it's it's a nice plug for Ed. And like I said, he's kind of busy with you know, moving and setting stuff up here. So I, I wanted to give him this plug for those who want to get on the early order group or just want to wait for the official release this summer uh, to kind of give you some ideas about what the uh, video output's capable of. So let me know if the volume's OK. Hey, everybody. I have a uh, Coco 3 here that I just finished also one of his keyboards. A, uh, Guinea X and 8 meg board into for somebody that I'm getting ready to send off. So I was testing it a bit and uh, as part of that I hooked up all the displays that the Guinea X will drive to test it and it adds a few new video outputs so you can see all the the cables going on back here. Uh, there's actually five different video outputs that uh, GimmeX Coco 3 can put out. And I set up displays. He's got all five at once. All of them. I have them all running simultaneously. So we can check them out here. And uh, let's see. I'm just going to run. A little something. This is this is composite coming out of the composite port on the back. That's VGA. That is 15 kilohertz um, RGB from the bottom port on a display that can handle that signal just through a passive cable. This is S video, and this is the RF output over here. So, let's see, let's run something here, um, you picked David Ladd's favorite game, I don't know if that was a tribute on purpose or not. So, um, the Gimme X actually has two, um, video DACs on it, one is a 15 kilohertz DAC and the other one is the 31 kilohertz DAC for... Uh, the VGA, the 15 kilohertz DAC, um, 
generates the video signals that are run through an encoder chip for both the composite and the S-video. It's also the output to the motherboard through that composite connection is also what drives the RF modulator. And then that 15 kilohertz stack is also what drives the 15 kilohertz RGB, of course. And the second DAC running at the higher scan rate is the VGA. Um, let's see. So, um, this actually greatly enhances the, the composite output from a Coco 3. It, it's a lot better than the original Gimme composite. It uses the closest N, uh, NTSC equivalents of um, RGB. So, same palette and everything as the regular the RGB output would be. It's all coming off of that deck. You can see, I don't know how well the camera will do with CRTs, but that's some pretty good composite there. There's a little bit of a close-up of the, the VGA. Sounds good to me. I just got a request in the chat to bump it up a bit. Oh. Uh, 15 kilohertz RGB is really nice, and that'll drive your CM8 um, directly. It's got voltages in that range. And with a few uh, series resistors on the RGB lines, it takes it down to the appropriate levels for a 15 kilohertz RGB capable display like this NEC AccuSync. Yes, video is not too bad either. I'll show some other screens too. And the RF, that might be about as good as RF has ever been on a Coco 3. <laughs> so let's see, let's uh. Look at some of the colors here. Let's see it here. The RF. That is pretty clean for an RF there. signal. Still not terrible. Yeah. S video. The 15 kilohertz RGB. VGA. And the composite. I'm just going to pause for a second. I want to point out here something that's unique to the Gimme X. Like the, the regular Gimme, if you're running composite or RF, you get one color set. And if you're running RGB, you have a totally different one. So you have to choose in the game, you know, what mode do I want to play in? And then it looks totally wrong on the other type of a monitor. You'll notice on here, though, on the Gimme X, they're all running the exact same palette. You don't have to switch between modes. So that, that's a rather unique feature of the Gimme X here. So you don't have to worry about what monitor type did I boot up in and, you know, pick the right one for the game. It just, it, it makes it common. You, you've got to always choose RGB. Right. Now I'm going to yeah. run a Coco 2 game 
that uses artifacting. Show a little bit about how that's handled. And so we have, um, now this is the default mode for handling artifacts and it's as you might be used to with the Cocos. Um, you're going to have, these are genuine um, composite artifacts that are in the NTSC signal there on the composite as well as it shows up on the RF as well. And of course, from the other outputs, you have just black and white, which is what the signal really is. So, but we have simulated artifacts on the Gimme X. So, there's a little button here on the button board. And we can put it in it, cause it to display our simulated artifacts. Now, this actually overrides the NTSC artifacts, and so now this is simulated artifacts on the composite. And on VGA. And on the 15 kilohertz RGB. Yes, video. And the RF. So that's kind of what I wanted to show you. Um, if anybody is familiar with how terrible that um, the stock composite is on the the Coco 3, you can probably see from this composite output that it's quite a bit improved. And even the RF is not bad there. Wait, let's see. Uh, in fact, it's nearly readable in 80 column on the RF output, even. Which it definitely is not on the regular RF. And a little more so even on the uh, composite, although, you know, CRTs don't like video cameras much, or video cameras don't like them much. And of course, you know, and the others, CBS video here, it's nice and clear. So, that is what I wanted to show you. And that's it. Anyway, it looks really promising. Uh, so basically, he's using on the, the programming. It's kind of the main, you know, really good artifacting when he does a simulated artifacting, which can go on 05 displays. Or you can leave the composite and an RF on the regular, you know, NTSC, you know, not the same color twice type thing. Uh, but even that's improved. So even if you use regular RF or regular composite, the video signal is closer to spec 
and, and works better than the original Gimme did. So your regular composite and your regular RF looks better than the original Coco 3 did as well. Or you can switch it to the artifacted version where it kind of does the name simulation, which has a bit more control over the signal. And then obviously, of course, it does all that across the, the other three displays as well. And like I said before, it adds in the semi-graphics, the higher semi-graphics, you know, 12, 24, eight modes with the text so that you can support some of the older Coco 1 and 2 games or older Dragon games that uh, require those modes to be able to read the text and to see the, the nine colors. So lots of backwards compatibility problems solved. A lot of uh, video quality, no matter what your display is, is going to be improved from what you're used to, whether you're running RF, TV, composite, not to many people are probably running S video analog RGB. All of those signals are now better than the original. And then of course you got VGA added. So this is one thing that uh, I've like I said, I've been working on it here, uh, you know, getting some support into it for Nitrous 9. We've got the, the fast speed and that makes a huge difference. I think you guys have seen this, the rescue and fractalist demo I did showing how fast it runs. Uh, you know, even with a 639 optimized version then kicking it over to 2.86 megahertz makes a huge difference. It becomes a flight a real, you know, speedy flight simulator type thing. It's not this, you know, a bit more patchy version. So I, I, I highly recommend board. I'm really glad it's actually finally going to see the light of day for the general public this summer. I think it's well worth the money myself personally. Um, and we're interested to see what uh, you guys think about it too. So Matt had a question in the chat there. Uh, okay. About what's the difference between uh, this artifact simulation and AC eight zones? artifact simulation i have no idea um i don't know if ac can answer that I, I know the algorithm is the same one gary becker used in the coco 3 vg or coco 3 fpga which is based on the main one which is one sock master worked on because some of the pure artifacting like the old vcc basically just took even odd pixels and you know one's red one's blue that was it um, the main one actually takes into consideration the pixels surrounding it, you know, above and below, and maybe two pixels left and two pixels right, which is much more accurate to what the TV signal actually did. So then you start getting the subtle stuff like purples and yellows and greens and all that kind of stuff. So uh, AC would have to explain, like if he's using basically the same algorithm as MAME is for his, then it's, it'd be very similar, I would imagine, but I don't know what, what he's using on his. Okay, on to the next story. Michael Klein did an interesting experiment that he posted about in the Coco Facebook group, which is connecting two eight retro 8-bit machines. In this case, he has a Coco 3 and he has a Pocket Computer 2 via modems on each, but with no phone line involved. So rather than taking like a null modem cable and going there, he actually goes through the actual modems. So he's got two modems hooked up that then directly link up without a phone line and communicated that way. So he's got a couple of shots of it here. So here he's got the Coco 3 running NetMate, I believe. No, that's V... V-term, so that's Tim Cancel's VT100 emulator. It was a commercial product back in the day. And you can, I don't know how readable it is here, but it says this file not found. And then he has a listing of a basic program from his PC too. And you can see the direct connect modem. He's got it linked up to here from his R32 pack. And here's his PC two with its own direct connect modem too, linked up to it. And then you just directly link them together you know, through phone cabling and stuff there, but no actual phone line. And that's the listing he produced and listed on the Coco screen. So this is kind of a really retro way to get two computers to talk to each other involving modems rather than a modem cable. I thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting take on it. Next up, uh, Kieran, actually, he's mentioned in our Discord and then he put it up on Facebook as well. He's had some downtime, you know, due to COVID and stuff. So he's uh, at home, you know, probably getting bored or something. So he got a uh, Coco 3 because that was never sold in, in the UK. 
but he got a Palacoco three, I believe, from Breeza in Australia, because of course they did. And uh, it was a 128K machine. So he's actually designed and made his own 512K SRAM based board, which he's been testing lately. And uh, it works. He actually fired up uh, Sockmaster's Donkey Kong port, which requires 512K and kind of pushes the Coco 3. And it works fine. So he's got it up and running. But there's his board. Now, I don't know if he has any plans on selling this. I'm, I'm guessing probably not because it's a pain in the butt to do that kind of stuff. But he has published the specs to it. You can see here the project files up here on his GitLab. And he's got a manual he's made for it too. So if somebody wanted to make this, they could just download the specs and make their own. Now, the reason he did this, because I mean, we have some fairly cheap 512K or even two meg boards these days, is that shipping and bat taxes and everything else shipping overseas is prohibitively expensive. It sometimes costs more than the entire board itself. Since these will be locally sourced in, in the UK, at least uh, you know for his own personal use. And I think he's got four other prototypes or something he's thinking about maybe selling. But uh, if there's enough demand in the UK area or in Europe, it might be a good idea for somebody to work with him to actually make this uh, commercial product. And I don't know how many Coco 3s there are in Europe. That's, that's the one thing I don't know. But uh, it might, might be worth it to save all the shipping and all the you know, taxes and stuff that you have to add when you're importing from North America. So if he has any comments on that in the chat, please feel to, to chime in there, uh, Kieran. But it was good to see his project worked, and he's actually got a 512K Coco 3 running PAL in, in the UK now. Next up, we have Todd Wallace, Lord Dragon in our Discord, who's uh, been fiddling with you know the OPL3 chiptunes player for Nitrous 9. Now, the OPL3 is a fairly advanced sound chip. Uh, it was the same one the Sound Blaster 16 used. And uh, it's built into the Mega Mini MPI by Ed Snyder, same guy who's doing the Gimme X. And he's made previous versions of this. Now, basically, because the timing on it is fairly intense, you still have to kind of lock the CPU out to play these old compatible songs from PCs and stuff. So he added a feature here, just like uh, Gwim did recently with the uh, Sierra games, that you, he's added a check on the PIA so you can abort a song. And he's got a brief video here, and he's got the download here, too, on his site if you want to grab the actual player for Nitro I'll be included in the 6.1 as well, so you get the upgraded version when that's released at the end of April. But I thought this is a fairly quick little video just kind of demonstrating, you know, the player itself for those that haven't seen it before, but also the functionality of being able to skip ahead songs, even in a playlist. So if you have a playlist of a bunch of songs, you get break, it just skips to the next song. So I'll just quickly play that. Hey guys, so I put together a new version of my Coco Chiptunes player, uh, version 1.3. Um, the main difference is this one uh, now allows you to abort the playback uh, by pressing break. Uh, some people were asking why Nitrous 9 needs to be locked or frozen during playback. It really has to just do with the, the timing uh, of the uh, FM synthesizer music files. I tried to find a way around it uh, to avoid it, but um, it's just the way VGMs are constructed. Even though they're not real samples, it's still a pretty uh, fast uh, rate and without like FIRQs and stuff that I, I can't find a way to do it. Um, but what's kind of cool is um, if you're playing a playlist, the break key won't abort the whole playlist, it'll just skip the song. So you can kind of put together um, music to just have in the background and if you want to skip a song, you can do that uh, without having to sit through the whole thing. And I'll just show you a quick example of that here. I found this cool uh, soundtrack. And uh, yeah.
So you can now see the message instead of just being frozen, it lets you know you can abort with break. So let's say, yeah, too slow paced. Skip it. This is a good song. Anyway, you get the point. Um, and you can just skip this one to the next one, next one. Only thing is, I guess, you'd have to press break a lot to, <laughs> to get through 46, but just imagine if Coco Video Games had this kind of soundtrack. It's so awesome. It's awesome having a real sound chip. Now, I will mention... Um... We are planning on supporting the, the, this chip and some of the other sound chips that are out there now in Nitrous 9. At some point, we're just trying to come up with a proper set of APIs to make it in common so you don't have to like custom write your stuff for each chip. Uh, we want a basic bare minimum that all the chips can kind of talk to and then have some extended features for some of the more advanced chips like the OPL3. Hardware abstraction. Yeah. So that that that's a design thing we've been working on. We, I mean, a few of us, Alan Huffman, John Strong, and I have even talked about this back in the day. Uh, you know, at Coco Fest a few years back here, just back when it was just Sir Sound from Alan was coming out and uh, which I don't think actually ever did come out. Um, and then also the sound speech back, et cetera, too, which, you know, we need the upgrade so it runs at the full two megahertz. So you don't have to keep slowing the Coco down just to be able to play, you know, advanced sounds. So so we'll be working on that. It won't be for the 6.1 upgrade, but uh, we want to get it right the first time and rather than have something that people start writing to and all of a sudden we have to yank the rug out from under them and change all the specs so they have to rewrite everything again. So hopefully patience. But in the meantime, you can definitely run his player. If you want to do like a title screen type thing and you want a background music for a title screen for a game you're writing, you can actually fire that up and then just have a thing on the screen telling the user if you want, if you want to skip playing the whole song, just hit the break key and the game will start. So for that kind of thing, it, it's ready to go right now with Todd's program. This next one here um, is by Retrotech. And I don't know if I saw him in the chat earlier or not. I, I don't know too much about him. I'm not even sure what his real name is, <laughs> but yeah, he's put up this uh, video here kind of explaining how to set up the development environment for a program, the Coco and the GMC, the Game Master Cartridge sound chip. So there's another sound chip related thing, but this also goes into doing it from a Coco and then using uh, cross-platform tools like LW tools, using Notepad++ with a special template to be able to handle 6.9 assembly language. And uh, then using this with XOR, because XOR has GMC support built in too. So you can test it even if you don't have a real Coco. So it, it's, it's, it's a 45 minute long video, gets into a fair bit of detail, how to set all these various tools up and actually showed you some demos at the very end of you know transferring files back and forth to test stuff out. I won't play the whole thing here, obviously, because it's 45 minutes. Um, but he goes into quite good detail about it and even tells you like where to get you know the ROM images you need to get XOR running and, and that kind of stuff. And then how to set up Notepad++ and you know, just various things there. And then getting into the cross assembly with LWASM, some of the notes on how to program the GMC itself. And then, you know, running XWare automatically to try testing some of the stuff out here. So it's, it's a very extensive, very well done presentation. Um, so if any of you are interested in programming for the GMC, I would highly recommend this video. In addition to the ones I think Myro did back in the day when the GMC first came out. So this is kind of a, a developer's video for those interested in doing that. And I was going to ask uh, Mr. Alan Murphy, who's still on the call, have you seen this video yet? Because I know you've been fiddling a lot with the sound cards too. Is Alan still on the call? Is he still awake? 
Are any of us awake? No, I guess he's not on anywhere. Okay. I can ask him next time. Now, this one, I almost wish we had AC on the call here for this one here, because uh, this just came out uh, yesterday, and it's uh, him doing a video, and he's kind of playing the game on Challenge Game, uh, Mooncrest, as part of you know part of it. So I did, wasn't sure to put this in regular news or game on news, but it's for me, it's more about the hardware side. So what he's done here is he made, he's made a pure digital video card that uses HDMI out uh, that he's been working on for the Cocoa 1 and 2, and that's what some of the questions in the chat were about, too, so hopefully you can answer some of these. Um, but basically, every other solution we've had has gone, at some point, it's gone through analog, whether it's going through a SCART cable or whatever. I mean, it comes out on a, you know, the analog RGB port or comes out on the composite port or a combination of both. What he's done here is he's made a satellite board that actually plugs directly to the VDG and snoops the RAM that the VDG is accessing and then directly creates an HDMI signal based on the actual digital data from the chip. So there's no analog anything going on here. So you get a super clear crystal picture. Now, it's a 15-minute video, so I'm obviously not going to play the whole thing. Um, he's got his little screen there. You can see some of the stuff. And like I said, if he wants to join the call and give us a bit, bit of a technical explanation, please feel free, because this is way over my head. Um, so I'll just play a little bit of the clip here. Or just digital video, uh, just as well as HDMI. But the HDMI connector is nice and compact. So uh, this is the, uh, the HDMI that we're viewing in this video. So uh, let's get back to some more of the gameplay. I'll probably discuss this HDMI a little bit more in, in a future video, but uh, this is still under development. And, um, but there's definitely gonna be more to come on this HDMI solution for the Coco 1, the Coco 2. Moon Cresta. Let's get the game going here. We're going to use joystick control. You can see it's even doing the artifact and, colors uh, and stuff I'll try to talk about this hardware upgrade while I'm playing the game. I'll just play it. Let's see if know, I have volume. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we're actually getting audio at the moment, not through the HDMI cable, although that is technically possible. Uh, but no, I just I have the audio through a separate... Uh, RCA cable at the moment but okay so about about the Coco digital video this could be a first in the Coco world as far as I know this is the first time that we have straight digital video data all the way without any analog anywhere in the chain so a lot of solutions out there are um, based on RGB or VGA, which are, are both analog video solutions. Uh, but this is data that is pulled directly from DRAM, and it's straight digital all the way to the monitor. So we, we have Coco VGA, which is out there, and creates spectacular and clean video in the VGA standard. Oh, oh good. Okay, so I'm trying to dock the little ship. <laughs> like it mixes it with gameplay. The <laughs> I almost missed it. Okay, but uh, Coco VGA, so that's, that's analog video. And 
it's very clean and excellent quality video. You can even get a, uh, a low-cost VGA to HDMI converter and have HDMI. Uh, but uh, this is a little different. There's no analog in the chain here. Like I was saying, uh, the, the FPGA in my prototype board is snooping the, the DRAM data and it's doing a direct conversion to a digital video stream to the monitor. I, I won't play the rest of the video there, but you guys can go check that out. Now, him and uh, Kieran have been actually talking about it a bit in the chat here. So uh, Kieran had asked, he did not say it was pulling data direct straight from RAM, i.e. not using the VDG's video output. So I'm guessing it might currently be limited to high-res graphics. Um, and said they're just a guess. And the fact that he said you know, more required. And then AC came back and said not limited is supporting alpha graphics, semi-graphics 4, 6, 8, 12, 24, and low-res. So it basically supports all the modes that the VDG does. So it's uh, another solution. And then, like he said, it's pure digital, you know, start to finish type thing. So you should get an absolute clear signal. And if you can actually get the sound mixed on it, then you can just plug it into an HDMI TV and you're, you're done. You don't have to worry about any extra cabling. Would you not get the artifacting if you do that though? I'm assuming that the, the way he's reading the signal, he's actually doing the art. I mean, he's showing artifacting here right now. I mean, he's got the reds and the blues. So Yeah, but the um, artifacting isn't in the signal. It's in the TV. Yeah, well, I'm assuming that his reading the RAM, he's kind of, doing the same thing MAME does. It kind of, you know, figures out the algorithm of the surrounding pixels and then adjusts the color before it sends Artifacting it to the is emulated. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, same as MAME does, presuming. What if you don't want the artifacting? I would assume he has a way to shut that off, but I'm not sure. He's actually live in chat right now, so maybe he can correct hmm. me if I'm wrong. Yes. Yeah. You, can, you can turn the artifacting off. He has, uh, I do believe, I, if I remember correctly, he said four four settings for the artifacting and one of them is off. Right. Yeah, he, he says, uh, I'm reading RAM, looking up the values in a lookup table, which is kind of what MAME does. And then he says, yes, you can turn it off shown in the video. Well, I'm not, like I said, I'm not gonna play the whole video, but uh, definitely go check it out because then you can get the full details. And uh, AC, if you'd like to come on the show, maybe next week in, or the next time you have an update on this particular project, I'd like to get the, you know, right from the horse's mouth type thing as opposed to me trying to wing it. Since I'm not a hardware guy, this is lots over my head. <laughs> but it's a really cool idea of having a purely digital solution. And I know a lot of people have said, like, why doesn't anybody just make an HDMI adapter and there's like licensing fees and everything else? And the current ones, you can get new adapters through a chain to get to HDMI eventually, but then you have to add these extra things. So this is like a one-shot deal and you're done. So maybe that'll make it a bit easier and a little bit cheaper because you only have to pay for one thing. But I'll let him talk about that the next time he's on. Next up, we have uh, some MC10 news. So Jim McClellan has added another feature to his McDraw graphics program, which is a semi-graphics uh, for editor that he made for the MC10. He now supports output to the printer. And he's the guy we talked about last week who got his TP10 working and figured that if you buy rolls of, uh, was it fax paper or something or telex paper, I can't remember, but he found it basically cut it literally in half exactly, it fits the printer perfectly. So he's actually got a, a sample picture here where you can drew this picture on the screen using his program and then print out and you can see it on this TP10 down in the lower right corner there. Basically duplicating, obviously can't do color because it's a thermal black and white printer, but um, yeah, he's actually got uh, printer support now. So this is kind of like the printer episode. We have the nine part series by 
Mike Rowan on hooking up uh, the cocoa to modern printers and old printers to other computers and doing all kinds of stuff. And then we've got right back to MC10 direct connect and uh, printer support for a graphics editing program. Next up, we got an update from Robert Sieg, who's been doing his uh, conversion from 24-bit, like literally 16 million color BMPs to drop it down to 128 by 96 by four color uh, MC10 graphics. And he was been writing in basic and his very first versions took like 20, 30 hours to convert one picture, which is a long time. And then the last episode, I think we talked, he's got that down to the four to six hours, but he's done an algorithm change now and it's much faster. He says it's actually a little bit less than an hour to do this on the MC10 itself. Now, obviously if you're running this in an emulator, run faster because you can you overclock the emulator, but uh, he's also got various brightness levels. So you can bring out the details, whether you want you know brighter or darker stuff to show up. And he actually shows three different samples here of, of different brightness levels kind of going through what some of the options look like and it would be up to the person running the program to decide which one they want to use for their project but cutting it down to less than an hour and i think at this point i don't think he's even added any uh, machine language yet though he could correct me if i'm wrong on that i know he's been talking about doing that but if he's got it down to less than an hour in basic i can just imagine what he can do with the machine language version trying to monitor the chat here because i know karen and alan are going back and forth on his project um Too much to say, they're just kind of discussing it back and forth, so I'll keep it around. Next up, we got some dragon news. Um, Stephen Smith has posted this. Apparently, he's got found a bunch of old national dragon users group. So, this is not the new dragon user magazine, this is user groups themselves. So he's found 27 back issues that he has, uh, particular issues 66, 68, 69, and then 72, 93. So, this takes you up into 1993, which is you know well past the dragon, you know, not being so that's even past when the Coco stopped selling at Radio Shack. Um, so the Dragon User Group kept publishing newsletters till at least then. Uh, Karen can correct me if it actually went a lot past that. Um, but he's actually selling them as a lot for 25 pounds delivered, UK only, unfortunately, but uh, all 27 issues for the one lot price. And since I'd never seen these before, I thought I'd show some pictures of what, you know, it's just basically a line printed style newsletter. So here's the uh, February 1990 cover uh, kind of showing it, you know, a little bit of graphics, but most of it's just, you know, the handmade stuff we used to make back in the day at the clubs. Um, this is a rather famous picture. I, we had it, I think, in our newsletter, too, to be honest. And they actually had some ads um, for various things for selling hardware, selling software, all kinds of things, too. And they're mentioning like an April 1993 show. So this is one of the later issues. And then the old micro show, this was a cross-platform show. I, if Karen's ever been to one of these, I'd like to hear a bit about this. Because that covers like Atari 8-bit and this ST and Amigas and PCs and obviously Dragons or they wouldn't bother including in the, the advertisements in the um, newsletter. But this is like November of 93. So this is getting quite late in the life. So I'd be interested to see what these are. A few people have asked on his post in the Dragon group on Facebook that whoever does buy this lot, please scan it in and put it up on the world of Dragon and possibly the Color Computer Archive or even the Internet Archive. Just that the you know this stuff's not lost to the public, and the public can actually see all these things. So I'd be interested to see what kind of stuff they publish that late in the Dragon's Life. Next Dragon one, um, Matt K. Now I think he's the same guy who was designing the Dragon Thirty Two and Dragon Sixty Four labels, replacement labels. What he's done here is he's actually made a complete template, including die cuts and everything else, for making replacement Dragon software boxes. So if you fold all this together and it fits, you have like the little window to show the cartridge, etc. And uh, 
he's actually talking about possibly even redoing some of the old uh, manuals for some of the old games and stuff too. Uh, but he was just trying to see, you know, what if you can get it for around three pounds fifty per box shell, and looking at doing an inner game sheet. So he's trying to gauge the, uh, you know, how many people would want this. We've seen some pictures on auctions and stuff that people have these original boxes for Dragon Games, but they're in pretty, pretty crappy shape. They're falling apart, and you know, half the paint scraped off or the ink scraped off. So these are replacements, kind of like he's doing for the labels. So that's a pretty interesting thing to do. And it's kind of like what Tim Linder did for us on this side of the pond for the uh, program packs, where he's duplicated the old silver boxes, which uh, I think a few of us have bought it. He made a thousand of them, I think, at one point, maybe selling them for you know, selling cartridges or just to replace boxes that you have that are damaged. So it's nice to see that the dragon's getting the same royal treatment. And the last one just came in this morning. This is from Henry Reitfeldt, and he's got a, a brief 45 second YouTube video showing his Tano Dragon 64 running with a three and a half inch drive, which is a lot easier to find discs for these days than the old five and a quarter. Just a quick so, look at my that? Tano Dragon using a three and a half inch floppy drive. Anyway, it seems to work pretty well. Um, obviously, it loads a lot faster than a C64 would. And uh, it's a pretty working. low bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it works well. I mean, I did that on my Coco back in the day too, because the five and a quarters, even in the 90s, were starting to get a little bit more rare. Plus, just three and a half are more reliable. They're a solid case, they don't bend, you know, and wreck the disc as easily. So, um, I'm just so, glad he showed, you know, even on the Dragon, you just basically you just plug it in. It works with the existing disc controller. You don't have to really change anything. Um, if you want to get the full capacity, you might need to do some things like in Nitro Sign, you might have to change a driver to you know, know that it's 80 tracks. But even using it as a standard 35 track disc, which it works fine. I've backed up all kinds of stuff on three and a half from, you know, regular disc basic stuff on five and a quarter. And then a few comments here. Um, some other people really like the uh, Dragon Box replacements. Uh, David Craker in particular mentioned the Dragon Boxes look great. Karen says, I remember when I first picked up a double-sided 80-track, three-and-a-half-inch drive to my Dragon, it was mad. I could pretty much get everything I ever wanted onto one floppy. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs hard disks? <laughs> uh, and he also mentioned, we were talking about some of the shows they had back in, in Britain back in the day, and he had mentioned... Uh, Yeah, sadly, the only shows I went to, and this is from Karen, uh, were Weston Supermare once as a consumer, then Osset, where I ran a stand. Well, to be fair, my parents probably ran it more than I did. So, unfortunately, didn't make it to all the shows back in the day. But, I mean, a lot of us never made it to Rainbow Fest here. I think just a couple people on the panel here. If I, Ron, I know you have. And I have. And uh, Brian, of course. <laughs> and uh, Rick, I'm per did you make it to Rainbow Fest, or were you only on the Cocoa Fest side of things? I never made an actual Rainbow Fest. Yeah, the 84 one. I, I, I did make a fest that wasn't sponsored by Glenside. Atlanta? 
or the Pacific Northwest? No, no. trivia question. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Um, can I throw the screen up real quick? Yeah, I think I stopped sharing, didn't I? Uh, okay. I'm done. That was the last news story, anyway. So, okay. Let me. Let me. Here, here's the. Uh, here's the. Uh, fest I was talking about. That was not sponsored by Glenside. Oh right, that back when Dave and Nancy Myers did it directly yeah. with Coco Pro. DNM Enterprises did the first last Coco Fest. I thought that was kind of neat. I ran across that just the other day. Funny it came up. Yeah, I think I can't remember if I was at that one or if I only made the second one of those. I think that's the first Coco thing I ever made it to. Yeah, I think I made the second one of the Coco Fest. I made it to one, two, three, four or five of the, I think five of the Rainbow Fest myself. But. Strangely, the whole time I lived in Dallas, in the shadow of the Tandy Towers, I never went to any Coco anything. I never went to a Dow drug meeting. I didn't even know they existed, I don't think. Um, none of that. Yeah, because one of the and Coco I, Fest was actually held in Fort Worth, wasn't it? If I remember correctly. Well, one of the there, was all, there was all kinds of stuff, and Daltrug was as big as anything at the time, the, the Tandy Users Group down there. And I didn't know any of these people. I moved all the way to Milwaukee, and all of a sudden I <laughs> find Tandy stuff all around. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was the end of the news. Um, so I don't know, did you want another commercial break for we the project projects and acquisitions and updates and stuff? Yeah, we could. Patrick, did you have your beard back then? We got the answer to that one. <laughs> oh, Crickets. Well. Here we go. To a commercial. Oh, sorry. I lost my mute button along with my screen. Did you have your beard back then in 92? Yeah, it was, it was shorter and darker. <laughs> yes, yeah it was well. quite trimmed for when i remember it was a fairly short beard yeah well i had a job then and responsibilities and <laughs> <laughs> you were adulting back then yeah yeah i was adulting i'm adult no more all right here we go after these messages we'll be right back fletcher i don't need that report tomorrow great jt i need it tonight but, J.T. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbeat the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. 
What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Cocoa Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Right. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. Okay, we are back. Uh, acquisitions, right? Yeah, project so, acquisitions. So. so I think, uh, let's see, uh, Brian the Music Man, didn't you have something? Okay, every everyone can hear me now. Yeah, yeah. we can't really see you. I, I know I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to spotlight his screen though, because I imagine he's going to show something. <laughs> yeah, I just want to just show off a couple. Well, here, get some of my stuff around here. All right, yeah. Um, just as we were talking about on the earlier segment, and that some of this uh projects that I've been working on, you know, dealing with MIDI and that. And over here, this is a uh, DACO um, evaluation board. What it does, it takes an audio signal, turns it into MIDI information, and you can send it out. And so I'd done an adapter where I can plug in this board and then I got a MIDI port that I built here and I can have that go into my laptop so that I can run different uh, instruments. Um, you know, actually make it sound so that I'm I can take my voice. I think on my video, one of the videos, I actually did that where I'm actually using the microphone and I'm just, you know, doing a note and this tracks it, turns into MIDI and it plays um, the synthesizer uh, and VCV. Um, and that's, that's that was one of the things. Then another project I'm working on is this guy here, 
which is uh, just got some knobs and a couple buttons and whatnot for use with the Arduino so that I can take and, <clears throat> excuse me, just uh, have a little mini controller box so I can check the change the modulation, vibrato, and a few other uh, key things, or play two different notes and that. Kind of, kind of like a little uh, squat box for uh, doing some streaming stuff if I really wanted to have stuff, because you can uh, change a lot of different patches and all that. So but that's really about all that I've got that I was uh, going to show and whatnot. So besides the entire mess that I've got going on here of all these wires and gadgets and stuff laying around. So that's that's about all that I had. Okay. Uh, well, I got the view messed up now. Uh, Brian Weasler, you had something, I'm sure. Yeah, I got a few a uh, few items here I'd like to share with you all. Um, uh, one thing here was a uh, an issue of a popular electronics magazine, and uh, in this particular issue. Uh, they actually did a, a TRS-80 color computer review. And uh, so I, I, it kind of caught my eye there. And so, uh, I mean, they, they kind of go through and uh, they have an article uh, talking about the, uh, the color computer. Uh, in this case here, it's, uh, it's back from the, the silver. So this would have been back in the early days of it there. But uh, no, they did a nice little review. They kind of talked about the, uh, the processor and they kind of break it down a little bit. What day is that article? For the magazine? The magazine, it would be uh, July of 1981. Hmm. I faintly remember that one. I remember we had, we, we, that was one of the magazines we had a subscription to at the high school I was at. And I remember actually reading that one. It was just literally came out just a couple months before I got my color computer one. Yeah, was, uh, I read part of it there. I mean, it's uh, the typical specs and things like that review. Uh, they particularly did not like the keyboard. That was probably their biggest. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> um, uh, also, uh, we've seen these before. I picked up uh, another one of these here. It's the uh, it's the gray craft uh, uh, type of joystick that was out there. Uh, I saw this guy laying out. Is there. that with so the built-in Coco connector, or was it one of the ones for one of the other machines? No, this is the one that's actually was uh, made for the Coco. Yep. So yeah, grab one of those. Um, some of the software manuals we've seen these before. Uh, this one here is um, a personal file. file. Yep, so I got that one there, and uh, it has the. I, I always, I don't know why, I, I always like the graphics back in the day, but uh, of the manuals and stuff, the pictures that they put in there, you know, <laughs> always got to catch my eye a little bit there. So, yep, and it has the disc with that one. Um, another one that I also uh, got here was a color profile, which we've seen before. So, and that one also has the. Uh, the manuals and the discs in there and such. So you've probably seen this before. It's literally a profile. Literally a profile. A <laughs> um, couple of things here, uh, disc or uh, cassette related. Uh, reading is fun. And this is actually still in the bubble pack. Never been opened up. Oh, wow. So that was kind of, it has the uh, little uh, storyline book that goes with it. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, they had a couple classic uh, literature works that you kind of went, like Hound of the Baskervilles, I think was one. And, you know, I can't remember what some of was, like four or five in that series. I think they were for the Model 1 and 3, too, weren't they? Um, I don't know if that particular version is, but I thought that yeah, was... Well, a... it's, 4K RAM is required, so yeah. 
Because basically they were audio cassettes that you'd listen to the story along with. Along with it then? Some, yeah, some software to read along or whatever it was. And then uh, here's another one here. This is uh, Words That Act. So it was. Uh, that one I don't remember. The vocabulary tutor. There yeah, you go. Vocabulary. Yep. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, lastly here, uh, I saw these advertised out there. They were just the binders for the cassettes. And um, on the pictures on eBay, it just showed them there. And I thought, well, I have some cassettes laying around. It might be kind of nice to organize them into this. But when they arrived, um, it was completely full of cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> and Bonus. Part, Bonus. Yeah. And uh, there were two of them full of it. Kind of like this panel's full of it. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but uh, like some of the labels here, uh, Sailor Man, uh, uh, Trek Warrior, is that how it's pronounced there? Trek Warrior, yeah, uh, that's a venture yep. game I marked data products. Uh, Time, uh, Time Bandit, uh, Connection 4, uh, Color Kit. Uh, now, are these originals or are these uh, backups? I don't, well, I think they might have been, I don't know, the, the, the labels, I mean, they, I don't know if it's coming into focus or not, but they actually have the name and everything. So these might have been backups that were made. I don't know if it's really coming through very well or not. Yeah. No, uh, super screen by Mark Data, color logo. Yeah. So that, that this would have definitely been. Um, but still, it was kind of a kind of a nice uh, nice surprise here. Uh, color kit by Prickly Pear Software. <laughs> that kind of caught my eye there. A <laughs> um, couple of the other ones that were in here. But you still uh, need some empty ones. Yes. <laughs> you didn't solve <laughs> so your problem. <laughs> yeah, I did not solve my problem. No, I didn't. Uh, Batgammon is in here. Um, oh, where's some other ones here? Adventure in Wonderland. Uh, Tut's Tomb. Uh, Batgammon. Uh, so a Danger Ranger is in here. Uh, so yeah, so it was kind of a nice surprise. But yeah, you're right. I did not uh, did not solve my problem. I <laughs> still need got, more, got more there. So, so yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. Wow, a short week for you. Yes. <laughs> Bit slack this week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have one update. It's not my update per se. But if you remember last week, uh, we had a request from a person that emailed me looking for uh, an advertised educational bit on the history of electronics and stuff like that. And which were, there was a Cocoa version of these two things and they were $100 in the Radio Shack catalog that you know, nobody in the panel had heard of or has and, and neither with me. Uh, he did send me an update, though. He said, and I'll just read the email he sent me. He said, well, I do have a bit of an update, actually. I haven't found any originals or anything, but I did find someone that had posted WAV files of a few of the cassettes at archive.org. Apparently, it was a Dorset Educational Systems that designed them. Sadly, the tapes were already copies, not originals, and the recordings are pretty trashed. I've done a lot of work in the audio and various programs to try to clean them up, and I actually got one to work, sort of. There are some missing bits in the graphics have some glitches, but it's at least close. I'm going to keep going to see if I can manage to revive some of the other ones as well. I also learned about another one in the series called Discovering Pluto. And that one's even more interesting. Apparently, it's narrated by the man who discovered Pluto himself, Clyde Tombaugh. Oh, cool. So being being an astronomy fan like Ron and my, myself both are, I would love to get the Coco version of that. Because yeah. I didn't know that existed either. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's finding some success in getting some of it found. Um, but if anybody listening to this or anybody in the panel or anybody that you know, catches this and you even a year down the road or something, if you have access to any of those, please, please get in contact with us. We'd love to get them restored and archived. 
I have a uh, friend that's um, since I'm an astronomer, you know, he um, he knew him and was friends with him. And um, I'm going to ask him if he knew about the software he might have made at the time. So who knows? Maybe he's got a cop. I doubt it. But be good to yeah. ask. Yeah, because Claude lived to be a quite a, a ripe old age and that his ashes are actually mm -hmm. on the New Horizons spacecraft, are they not? At some, you know, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So you actually got to visit the planet he discovered. Yep. Sorry, dwarf planet, as they call it now. Well, it's it, it, actually, if you talk to astronomers, it's still a planet. It always has been. It, was, yeah, it depends uh, on which, which faction you're talking to. <laughs> yeah, well, it was deemed an, a non-planet by people who aren't astronomers. So, yeah. Uh, I got a, something quick to share. Go ahead. Uh, screen to share. Can you see it? Yes, new group. Uh, same group. These are the latest uh, downloads from uh, my WeFax program that I didn't do, but I play with my um, receiver. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. neat that, that that actually is still going because that, that technology is, yeah. what, three, four decades old now at least. That's yeah, way old, yeah. I'm still trying to tweak my antenna so I can receive signal, but up here in the upper Midwest here, I just uh, just can't seem to get a signal strong enough. Yes, sometimes it comes in so nice and clear, like this one did, even though um, the lettering's hard to read there. Also, I want to mention, Ron, in chat there, uh, Fred Provencia, who's actually the guy who designed the new control panel for Nitrous 90s of Use. Uh, he's yep. also in the... Uh, Pluto is a planet faction along yeah. the two of us. So, so am I. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to try a uh, one of those uh, type of antennas that you can like string through your attic. So I'm going to do that and then uh, take the audio and also try to put a filter on it to uh, get any of the noise off of it and just try to get a clean signal. If that doesn't work, then I guess I'm just... Uh, <laughs> Out of luck. Yeah, this is my setup at my shop with my uh, Model 1 computer because I think I had a two or three at the time at home. And this is a tape recorder player and um, my line printer 7 and a single drive. And I used to um, do invoices and stuff using uh, Deskmate. And look at the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a floppy. Is that the bat phone or what is that there? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a phone that um, the headset broke and I took a red phone and stuck it on. So <laughs> it's two color. Well, you sure slammed that down hard, didn't you? <laughs> Boy, it's, it's, it's a great feeling, isn't it? Hanging up on somebody. If you're, if you're mad Batman at him. didn't answer since he slammed the phone down. And <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it, guys. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Sloopy, did you have something? Uh, yep, actually, I do. Um, last week, I showed the uh, new Coco 2 that I got. And uh, its current condition right now is this week, I got a uh, composite uh, board from uh, Ed. 
and uh, started installing it. And the other thing that I got this week was. I'll find the right button yet. Huh? It's like, I'll find the right button yet. Yeah, he hadn't zoomed you up until just now. <laughs> uh, well, my Coco 2 from last week. Here's the board. I uh, put the uh, composite uh, board in there from uh, Ed Snyder and uh, started to uh, socket uh, one or two of the ICs and got a little carried away, as you can see. <laughs> you hardware guys. Yeah, that was about 45 minutes worth of work. We don't see any hair on that board at all. No. Any hair? Yeah. Not everybody can be well, Curtis would, would Yeah, I'd solder my hair into that thing. I'm not trying to ah. solder it in. So. <laughs> well, Sloopy couldn't do that. Maybe beard, but not hair. Or maybe yeah. he did. Maybe he has more experience doing it than even I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did start. I did first solder when I was about eight, nine years old. And you had hair then, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> well, there's the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> who, who needs a pair of hair clippers or a barber when you've got a good soldering iron? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, did you want to? Did you want to have the chip socketed so you can troubleshoot or use it for project work to pop things in and out, or you just wanted to socket it? Well, originally it was supposed to be kept as pristine as like a um, baseline, but my other uh, Coco Two has decided that it's not wanting to work properly. Uh, the keyboard doesn't work and I'm not sure what's causing it. So I'm in the middle of process of fixing that and I'm gonna be using this one um, for uh, fin doing the final touches on the drive wire board. So, and unfortunately, because my other two Coco 2 not working, is the reason why drive wire boards are still not ready for uh, sale yet. But, Isn't it rare to have a Coco 2 not work? <laughs> yes, it seems so. And I don't know what its issue is. It's not reading the keyboard at all. It starts up fine. Everything's good. But it just will not read the keyboard. I even tried replacing the, uh, the PIA for it. It still won't read the keyboard. I took the PIA that was in it and put it into my Coco 1. And the keyboard wouldn't work. So obviously the PIA is, is bad, but evidently there's something else wrong because when I put a new PIA in it, it still doesn't work. Which brings me up to my other acquisition. Back in January, I ordered some uh, 68B21s just to have spare. Well, they sent me 6809Es, which I was like, hey, I could always use them. So I told them, hey, send me some... Uh, 6821s and they says well they'll have to come from china well this week i got 10 of them and good to say they are actually real 68b21s and they actually work what's the day code on them um i don't know you know the, the motorola ones are attached or they're actually motorola's okay um i don't know if you can Nah, yeah, it's, it's just a blurry mess. Yeah. Well, let me change my camera real quick because my other camera will actually do that. Uh, I'm wondering if they're, I was wondering if they're they're new production or just old stock. I have no idea. I didn't really look. Um, Everything's old stock. 
You wonder if they get their stuff from pulling electronic parts apart or what? I don't know. These don't look like they've been um, um, pulls. Pulls because the uh, the legs. Well, All right. they have good well, looking look, legs. <laughs> yeah, the legs aren't. Yeah, the legs are not uh, soldered. So, but here. Let me, Yes, not focusing. Back away a little. Yep, uh, almost, uh, almost, 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 almost. almost. Uh, not, uh. You can see the Motorola. It's coming. There, there. Up, back a little bit more. There, right there. No. Well, read it for us. Ah, there we go. Tilt it. I can't read it because this my screen's too far away. Mm. Like an iron Zam, better one. Yeah, better two. Tilt it up a little bit, just a little bit more. Almost. Uh, it's weird. It looks like the lettering's floating. Yeah, they, they kind of look like it, uh, after two thousand though. Here, let me. Put it over here so I can see the screen and the uh, hold it. Maybe it'll, it'll uh, try and lick it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll make it darker, the background darker. Uh, um, yeah, I could almost see it where, where you had it there. Right. Now, when you tried to show it to us, we can't see it. Yeah, but when you have it on an angle, it, it reflects the light better. This is riveting. Yep. <laughs> oh, I think it's oh, overall. Oh, That's better. Yeah. Okay, okay, 2P. 2P, QET00412. Uh, that's, hmm, I don't know what anything. that would be. That's not a date code that I'm referring to. Yeah, they uh, they actually work in my Coco One because the both the twenty uh, ones are replaced with them, and they both work. Nice, cool. Kit, Karen, and Chad mentioned the motion prediction is going crazy on this. You know, your camera trying to focus, and then Alan at AC's Eight Bit Zone said this episode should be called Sloopy shows us chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that camera doesn't have autofocus, and um, if anyone is interested in actually buying some of them, I am putting the uh, eBay link into the uh, Twitch chat. Hi. Chat on Twitch. <laughs> okay. And there. since those are 68B21s, they're rated for two megahertz. So those will work on the Coco 1, 2, or 3. That is correct. That's why I specifically got the B21s so that if I needed them in my Coco 3 or the 1 and 2, they would be same chip. Yeah. And of course, those control the keyboard, the joysticks, the sound, the cassette, and you know, numerous peripherals. So it's a pretty yeah. important chip. So if you get a Coco that has that dead, uh, go to Sloopy if you need. Do you have a price what you're going to charge for those? Or? Um, I mean, I didn't really buy them for resale, but if someone wants to buy one from me, because uh, they don't want to wait for them to come all the way from uh, 
China. I mean, I guess I could sell them for uh, like three bucks each plus the shipping. Okay, cool. So. Well, you have easy financing for anyone, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that the law allows. <laughs> All the red tag sale. <laughs> Blue light special. <laughs> you have okay. as many wires as uh, uh, Shoebring has. <clears throat> yes, I do have many wires here. And you can't even see all of them. <laughs> Any other updates or acquisitions from anybody? I have uh, some stuff coming from um, Tony Pedraza that he's given me for um, the you know cost of postage, and it's just cassettes from uh, for Model One Hundred and a cassette player. He's he's so nice to me. Monday they come. Cool. Okay. Well, are we ready for the outro? Well, somebody's got some last-minute acquisitions or updates. I know Nick's working feverishly on stuff, and I'm working feverishly on stuff, and but not ready to, in my case anyway, not ready to say anything about it yet. But. I have some old advertising I could show off real quick. Sure. Okay. Let's, uh, let's do the, the share screen thing again, and I'll drop down to this screen. So remember when your Cocoa ads all came like this? This is, this is one that was returned to me because the address disappeared. Um, and, you know, when spamming required actual work. So here's some, some of my old spam. And then uh, notice uh, you could buy a new Coco 3 for $100. It isn't up yet. It's not up yet? No. Interesting. I'm seeing it on oh, the stream. Wait, maybe. Yeah, I see it. Okay, so anyway, you know this this is the kind of stuff I used to spam people with. If you can see ads, I guess. And <laughs> then uh, anyway, so I, I found some of my old prices, and I I was selling new Cocoa threes in the box for a hundred bucks. Gee, no, was that straight one twenty eight k? Were these upgraded or? Yeah, no this this was a new Cocoa three in the box, just the way it came. Straight one twenty eight k from Candy. And, okay. and then uh, if you wanted to throw in another two fifteen, I would put in a sixty three oh nine and a Disto two meg. So, Cocos were dang cheap. I wish I could get a hold of myself and buy some of these because. So when was that? <laughs> Ninety. Three, three through 95, I think, is when you're advertising in uh, this was oh, this was May of 94. It was out of this fest flyer. So uh yeah, that that was that was back before the world exploded. Um yeah, it's uh I should go through this book. There was a lot of neat things in there. You should actually scan some of those. We've been putting some catalogs and stuff up on and flyers on the color computer archive. Like I put the original Tomcat TC9 brochures from Frank Hogg up there so you should scan those in and, and upload them there too as part of the cocoa history to preserve i also uh let's see there's the old cocoa fest and i found these so props to steve glad to see him back soon recently um i've got three of those myself the only one i'm missing is marty's nightmare <laughs> which i actually signed at the 90 probably that same fest in 94 so anyway that's my trip for the week trip to the attic anyway <laughs> Cool. And Any other last minute presentations or are we going to wrap this sucker up? I got my finger on the button. Put a fork in it. It's a wrap.
This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! And thus concludes another episode of Coco Talk. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. And I've got the wrong scene assigned to that button, apparently. Push the button, Frank. <laughs> all right. Here I we mean, go. See you all next week. Goodbye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Bye. I'd say I'd ask for parting thoughts, but they've all parted. <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> <laughs>